The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. Well, like a lot of you, it was a busy Sunday for me in my household. I watched Patrick Reed hold on, get to minus 15, and find a way to win, even though I was rooting for Jordan Spieth and Ricky Fowler both to put it into either win it late or put it into a playoff. Jordan Spieth with one of the all-time best performances on a Sunday in the Masters, missed at 18 the chance to post the best score, I believe, in the history of uh, the Masters. Ricky Fowler puts one in to get to minus 14, but in the end... Patrick Reed, who looks like, eh, what does he look like? I mean, he doesn't look exactly like an athlete. He looks like a modern-day John Daly. He looks like a guy who uh, has spent a lot of time drinking beer uh, in the Muni, uh, finds a way to get a uh, green jacket, moves to minus 15. Uh, Much to discuss surrounding that. We will do that as well. Also, there are a couple of other uh, drama stories going on on uh, Sunday Shohei Otani, who is a 23-year-old Japanese pitcher and hitter, the modern-day Babe Ruth, has now hit home runs in three straight games, and he took a perfect game into the seventh inning before giving way in that game. He's moved to 2-0 as a pitcher. He's homered in three consecutive games over the, uh, the weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and he has become 
a borderline phenomenon in the world of Major League Baseball emerging out of nowhere to take uh, this sport kind of by the reins and, uh, and, and drive Southern California fans mad. We will discuss that and continue to break down everything surrounding that story. Also, a lot of you probably, I'm curious how many of you, Stayed up last night and watched all of WrestleMania. Ronda Rousey made her debut. She did uh, incredibly well, I thought, playing to the crowd down in New Orleans in the Superdome. It was a wild, ruckus environment, and all of that was uh, was going on as well. Spoiler alert, The Undertaker came back and gave it to John Cena. My boys loved it. We watched all of that. All of that was going on on Sunday, a pretty active day. We have got a loaded show for you. Uh, In particular, it's rare that we have guests on Monday to begin with, but when I got this offer, I said, you know what? Yeah, I'd like to talk to this guy. I think it would be a hell of a way to uh, to start off the show in general. We have got Robert J. O'Neill. He's at MC Hooya on Twitter. He is a New York Times bestselling author of uh, The Operator, which is coming out in paperback, he is the man who killed Osama bin Laden. And uh, he is going to be on with us in the next segment. So if you need a little motivation in your life, first of all, Navy SEALs are badasses, but I figure Monday morning, first hour, what better than to hear an amazing story about the uh, the secret mission when uh, the Navy SEALs took out Osama bin Laden. I'm just going to ask questions like you guys are uh, going to enjoy it as well, I think. See how all of that goes. But we began, like I said, to me, the biggest story of the weekend was the Masters and Patrick Reed overcoming a lot of people who were rooting against him because of his time at Augusta State uh, when he was there, is what it was called. He was not very well liked by his teammates. He was kicked out of the University of Georgia for his attitude. And uh, at the age, I believe, of 27. I think he is 27 years old. He won what is, for many people, I think, golf's ultimate prize. And he held off Jordan Spieth, who came within a hair of making an absolutely legendary run. Jordan Spieth posting a 64, I believe it was. Absolutely incredible round of golf, given the circumstances, given the pressure. It was phenomenal. We have sound from both of these guys. Patrick Reed reacting to his title and also Jordan Spieth close, talking about how close he came to potentially grabbing that title himself. It's almost impossible, put into words. Just to make the putt on the last and watch the ball go in the, just go in the hole and know that I won my, you know, my first major. And you know, to finally end the drought of you know, not winning last year, it was one of my huge goals coming in this year was to not only contend in majors, but also win, you know, get back on that winning circle. And uh, you know, to do it in the first major and you know, to kind of you know, finish off that drought. It, it just meant so much to me. I think I've proven uh, to myself and to others that you never give up. I started the, the round nine shots back and just playing the golf course and have a lot of fun doing it and just try and shoot a low round just to shoot a low round and, and finish the tournament strong. That was Jordan Spieth uh, breaking down his performance. It was obvious everybody there at Augusta was not rooting for Patrick Reed based on his Let's say, uh, let's say star-crossed history at best uh, as a younger guy. In fact, it's ironic, obviously, to have a crowd. I can't even hardly remember it 
where everybody was completely behind Rory McIlroy, who was an Irishman, uh, to win the Masters, complete the career Grand Slam, like Rory McIlroy was trying to do, as opposed to not just an American, but a Southern American guy, uh, Patrick Reed, is from Texas, and everybody was on Rory McIlroy's side. Now, I think Rory a little bit kind of outfoxed himself with all the comments that he made uh, after his round on Saturday about how he was going to take it to him and how, uh, how, how much pressure, whether Patrick Reed would be able to handle that pressure. And then out of the gate, Rory made a little bit of a move. Then he had an eagle putt on, too, that went astray, and he never really seemed to put it all together. I thought in some way that Rory a little bit psyched himself out before that round even began. He added a lot of pressure to himself, as if you don't already have a lot of pressure on Sunday at the Masters. And give credit to Patrick Reed. I mean, he found a way to – he shot only one under, but with all of the chaos and all the tumult and all the pressure that would be on him since he's had the lead since Friday, he managed to wake up on uh, every morning over the weekend and actually put in a hell of a day's work and garner his first ever green jacket. And so as a result, that was a a massive win for him. And I'm sure many of you spent your uh, Sunday afternoon on the couch. I tell you – when Jordan Spieth hit that putt on 16, and it was a remarkable putt from beneath the hole there on par 3, 16th at Augusta, and got it to a tie, I really thought at that point in time that he would carry his way on. He missed a putt to take uh, take another share of the lead at 17, and then on 18, he hit, I, I think, you know, if you talk to Jordan Spieth, he said he hit a perfect drive. He just clipped the very edge of a tree and as a result, his ball got knocked down. He had to lay up, hit a good shot on three, but he was trying to play for par as opposed to having a chance to go after a birdie. I think if his ball doesn't clip that tree, it just barely, like he said, if you were watching it live, he said it caught the last branch uh, of that tree, like literally the farthest out part of that tree just happened to get clipped. If you ever golf, you know that feeling. You may not hit them very often, but you got one-headed, and you know you struck it well. And you also know that there is a little bit of a limb hanging out there, a little bit of a branch, and you're thinking to yourself, please get past it, please get past it. And Jordan Spieth talked about that after uh, after his round because I think probably that was the difference between whether or not he could birdie. I do think if he doesn't clip that tree, and golf certainly is, uh, there's a lot of fine details in golf. If he doesn't clip that tree, I think he's got a very, very good shot the way he was playing to post a 62 and get to minus 15. He was asked about it, Jordan Spieth was, after the round. But I didn't know exactly what it was, and so obviously pretty gutted at the finish. I hit a tee shot that wasn't that bad. It just caught the last little branch of that tree. Um, so obviously want to go back to that tee shot right now, but uh, it was a phenomenal day. When you perform like he did and post, I believe it was a minus nine uh, or minus eight on the day, it was such – it was a minus nine, I think, and then he missed the putt to get to minus eight, and he would have if he hadn't clipped that tree. I think he had a pretty good shot to get to minus 10 on the day. Either way, it was a remarkable round under the circumstances for Jordan Spieth and an answer in many ways to, I think it was a couple of years ago uh, now, when he kind of fell apart. I believe it was on, was it 12 uh, that he fell apart on? I believe it was on Sunday where he put the ball in the water um, and uh, and everybody said, man, maybe Jordan Spieth can't handle uh, the pressure here on Sunday at Augusta. Well, or he could post the greatest round almost, in the history of, uh, of Augusta National. Jordan Spieth, the young guy, still has uh, much to, uh, to, be, uh, to be proud of, certainly, about that round. Here's the other thing. A lot of people wanted Tiger 
uh, to make a run. And obviously, Tiger never really made a run. His best day was Sunday. He played, he golfed well on Sunday, but he was never really in the mix despite all the hype and the questions of, is Tiger back? I think the biggest issue Tiger has, aside from his own health, because obviously his back has been a major issue over the years, is just the quality of player that he has created in the world of golf. Uh, when Tiger Woods started, he was pretty much a di- like a supernova. He was a meteor streaking across the sky, a guy who was in incredible shape, great athlete, uh, who happened to play golf. Now, I know Patrick Reed is not a great athlete. He looks like he's a uh, you know kind of uh, pr- professional bowler more than he does like he's a uh, golfer. But there are a lot of guys now in their 20s who are of the Tiger Woods generation. They grew up watching him, and they aren't intimidated. They weren't playing golf at the time when Tiger Woods, oh, if Tiger Woods has a 54-hole lead, you might as well go ahead and shut the door. There's no way that he is going to actually lose this thing. And so as a result, I think they aren't intimidated by him. And Tiger, frankly, doesn't have, I don't think, a talent differential over these guys like he did back in the day. He's just not better. Uh, especially when his drive driver is as errant as it was at Augusta. And I know Tiger's drive has always been errant. It's always been his short game and his putting that's managed to save him. Uh, but I just think these guys are so much better than uh, the guys were who he went up against when he was in his prime. I would love to see Tiger come back and win another major. And we put up the poll going into the Masters. I think it was on Thursday morning and said, are you rooting for Tiger Woods? Just polling everybody out there in the OutKick universe, and 77% of you said you were rooting for Tiger Woods. I think everybody would like to see Tiger come back. I think the challenge is for Tiger, it's not just one guy that he's competing against. There's a lot of guys out there in their 20s who are really good. Whether it's Roy McIlroy, whether it's Jordan Spieth, I don't think Patrick Reed is at the top of the list. But I think there are so many guys now that aren't intimidated by Tiger Woods It isn't as if he's just got one or two guys that he needs to overcome. He's got an entire army of young golfers that are every bit as talented as uh, he was. And it reminds me a little bit, we talked about uh, Ronda Rousey a lot on this show over the years uh, and her uh, the beatings that she took in the UFC and her moving into WrestleMania. What Ronda Rousey had to deal with was the fact that to a certain degree, she made women's MMA a lot more popular than it ever had been before and created her own foes who were more talented than she was. They came into the sport because they suddenly saw the money that she had created, and as they rose up through the ranks, they were better than her. As most of the time in the world of sports, the generation that comes after you typically is better than the one that you were a part of because they have the benefit of having seen what you can accomplish, and they believe that truly anything is possible. I think that's what happened with Ronda Rousey. That's why I don't think, frankly, Rousey's ever going to go back to the UFC. The reception that she got at WrestleMania down in New Orleans last night was flat out unbelievable. Uh, All right, so we are going to do this. I think you guys are going to love this. I'm excited to see how it goes. We are going to talk with Robert O'Neill. He is the man who killed Osama bin Laden. They offered him up to me. I said, yes, I'll take him. Uh, I feel like we're going to get some big-time Monday motivation. He's going to be with us next. But then... We will continue to break down what I think the three biggest stories in the world of sports are. The Masters, Shohei Otani, as he comes through, wins his second straight game as a pitcher, takes a perfect game into the seventh inning in the space of running through three straight games with a home run. He really is the Japanese Babe Ruth, now brought to life, only 23 years old, 
playing unbelievably for the Angels, Orange County, in thrall, almost, I would imagine, back in the day, like what Fernando Valenzuela did when he was pitching for the L.A. Dodgers, a guy from a different country who comes in at a young age and sets off mania. And we will talk, speaking of mania, about WrestleMania. We're going to set to talk uh, with... uh, with several different people, uh, including Jason Martin, my guy who is a res- wrestling expert, about everything surrounding that uh, that broadcast last night that I know many of you watched as well. But up next, it's Robert O'Neill, the man who killed Osama bin Laden. I want to tell you, are you hiring, posting your position to job sites and waiting and waiting for the right people to see it? ZipRecruiter knew there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Clay. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Clay. ZipRecruiter.com slash Clay. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Got some Monday motivation for you. He's Rob O'Neill. He's a former United States uh, Navy uh, SEAL, and he is the man who killed Osama bin Laden. He has got a book out. It is called uh, The Operator, I believe, and uh, it is out right now, and uh, it's just coming out in paperback. And I think a lot of you are going to enjoy talking with him. Let me bring him in, uh, Rob O'Neill. Rob, what's up, my man? How are you doing? I'm well. Good morning. How are you? I am doing uh, excellent. I appreciate you getting up early in the morning with us here. So let's dive right into it. When I when your publicist reached out and said, would you like to talk to him? I said, God, yes. I'd love to talk to him. I think this would be great uh, for our audience. Um, you grew up in Montana. You go into the Navy SEALs. You're there for years. I want to start with the Osama bin Laden uh, operation. What was that experience like as you climb onto the helicopter? What do you know? What do you expect? And what happened? When we got out of the helicopter, it was actually in Jalalabad, Afghanistan, at an airfield there. And I was fortunate enough to be picked to be part of the, well, I've seen the best team assembled in the military to include the pilots and uh, the intel people and the air crew and all that stuff. Um, the guys going in on the helicopters, we, we knew there was pretty high chance that it was a one-way mission that we weren't going to come home from it. So we were very, very focused. Nobody was afraid. It was just a very focused and uh, um, serious, you know, moment. We all, you know, gave each other hugs, got in the helicopters and flew. And when we took off, we'd flown out of Jalalabad uh, quite a few times, but normally you fly north to head up near uh, different cities, different valleys. But we headed to the right and went to um, cross the Pakistan border. And then once we crossed the Pakistan border, we knew it was a, uh, it was go time, and we had about 90 minutes until we got to the compound, knowing that we're it's pretty much a first world nation we're going into with, with pretty modern um, air defenses, and these helicopters have never been used before, so we could get shot down at any time, and uh, you know everyone on board would die, but we knew that worrying about that wasn't going to help, so we just started doing other stuff. So guys started putting on their uh, 
a couple guys put in their earbuds, listen to their uh, their music. I remember counting from zero to a thousand, a thousand to zero, just to get my mind off. I learned that as a sniper year four, uh, and just you know, get, just getting ready to do it. And so then you know, we we got the um, we uh, got the ten minute out call when we sort of banked to the south. We opened the doors at two minutes, and then uh, everything went pretty much wrong from there. We had a helicopter crash land in the front yard. My helicopter went down on the outside of the compound. But we were very well trained, very, very prepared, knowing that the perfect plan never happens. It's your preparation that gets there because, you know, the worst thing that could happen is crashing in the front yard, which the other helicopter did. And I remember putting my foot down on the ground outside thinking, well, I guess we just start the war from here. And so we got to find a way inside and get to the top of that uh, that building. All right, before we get there, where were you on 9-11? I was deployed with SEAL Team 2. I was in Germany at uh, one of our units there in Stuttgart, and I was actually upstairs in one of the offices typing an email to some friends. And uh, we had we had a, a United States uh, um, news agency on television, and someone said, you know, with the breaking news, obviously there's a fire in the North Tower. They were immediately talking about a small plane or a Cessna, and we were looking at it like, you know, we've all been there. That's a big, big hole. There's no way that's a... We were talking about it until 9.03 when the second plane hit. It wasn't 20 seconds later that someone in the room said Osama bin Laden. We knew it was al-Qaeda and that the world had just changed. We're talking to Rob O'Neill. His book is out right uh, now in paperback. It's called The Operator. He's the man who shot and killed uh, Osama bin Laden. Okay, so you joined the Navy SEALs at the age, or you joined the Navy at the age of 19, I believe. I'm going to get back to Osama bin Laden and that raid here in a minute, but I want to start with that. You're 19 years old. Uh, What did the Navy do for you? At what point did you start to think about becoming a Navy SEAL, and how did you make that happen? I joined the Navy with the intent of becoming a Navy SEAL, and uh, I, I knew I needed to get it in writing. I didn't know much about contracts, but I did know that sometimes in the military they'll tell you just to join and send you off, and you can volunteer when you get there for certain things, but that's just a recruiter trying to get the numbers. Uh, I actually wanted to be a sniper, and he said I could be a sniper if I became a SEAL. So I signed to become a SEAL, but before I knew what a SEAL was, um, he had me sign because I didn't know how to swim. Um, and and I, I, once I signed and we started realizing, well, he started showing me what the training was, I had to learn how to swim. I, had to, I was fortunate to have about five and a half months from the time that I signed to the time that I left so I could go to a pool and I had a friend teach me how to swim. So that was a tough one. When I, when I first got to SEAL training, you know, I knew the two-stroke, side-stroke, and uh, breaststroke that I would need. But I, I, I'm, I'm a training with, you know, collegiate water polo players, guys who are really good. Once I got there, I knew I wasn't going to quit the training, but – I'm probably not going to pass all the swim, the swimming evolutions, but I'm going to stay here as long as they uh, they'll keep me. And, and that was kind of the attitude I had, and that's that's really where I learned the, uh, you know, one step at a time, one day at a time, and don't quit right now because that's just emotion. Quit tomorrow, uh, just one meal at a time, and and that's kind of that's actually the the preface of the book, is is uh, it's, it's it's called the operator, not because it's about I'm not calling myself that. That's that's story of the life of the operator, which is any special operator, any ranger, any green beret or seal. And um, it's just proof that, you know, if a, a chubby white kid from Montana who doesn't know how to swim can become a Navy SEAL and end up in, in Bin Laden's bedroom, that it doesn't matter where you're from or what you look like, you can do anything you want. Just because someone's from somewhere else doesn't mean they're better than you are. And it's, it's a lot of mindset. The first the first thing to go when a person quits anything is, is your mind. Once your mind goes, your body follows. But if, if your mind stays positive, your body will go with you. 
It's a remarkable story. So you wanted to be a sniper. Did you grow up shooting all the time in Montana? What made you believe that you were a great shooter such that you could get into the Navy SEALs in that way? Well, I didn't I didn't grow up shooting uh, competition, but I did grow up hunting and just sighting in uh, rifles that we would use for big game, everything from antelope, deer, elk, moose, sighting in, learning the ballistics and learning that I had a, I had a pretty good shot, had a knack for pulling the trigger at the right time. It just made sense to me. And that was actually the first school that I attended after graduating. You know, the previous schools and becoming a Navy SEAL, they sent me to Indiana to Camp Atterbury for a Navy SEAL uh, sniper course, and I went through that. Um, and it, was just, it, just, it just seemed like a natural fit. Well, we're talking to Robert O'Neill. His new book, uh, The Operator, is out in paperback, and he's joining us here uh, live on OutKick. So when you are tr- uh, in high school, you play any sports? Oh, you said you were a chubby kid from Montana before you joined the SEALs. <laughs> what, uh, what kind of uh, you know, team kind of training, anything else did you have before you became a SEAL? Did you play anything in high school? Well, yeah, I did. I played uh, basketball. Up at, I actually played a year of college basketball at Montana Tech in Butte, Montana. And that's I joined the Navy out of uh, after my first year of college, but that was a good that was a good team sport for me. Uh, I played a lot with my father, who, who played at the University of Montana. And one rule that we had, he and I would play every single day, even even when I was playing during the season. And a rule that we had before we left the gym is that one of us had to make um, twenty free throws in a row before you can leave. Like one guy rebounds for the other, and you do it until you leave, which can take some time. And um, we actually got up to the point where. Um, he made. I want to say he made 86 free throws in a row, and then a few weeks later, I made 105 in a row, and that was just um, that was just a, a good repetitiveness, good uh, systematic stuff. A lot of that comes with shooting too. A lot of breathing, uh, everything from pulling the trigger to follow through. Same with shooting a, a jump shot or a set shot. So that, I think that helped out a lot, especially with the patience and the realization that you know you you, you miss one, you got to hit and shoot again. So you go into Navy SEAL training. I think there have been movies made about this. There are books, obviously, including yours, about that experience. How brutal, mind-numbingly difficult. Take me and everyone else out there who's headed into work this morning into what it was like to train to be a Navy SEAL, how hard it was, how long it took, and what it felt like to actually be in the midst of that training. Training for, you know, SEAL training, basic underwater demolition SEAL training, or BUDS is what we call it, is, is essentially the hardest military training in the world. And it's, um, it is, I remember it being so bad that I, I, I remember my past from where I came, but I didn't have a future. I'm just going to be in hell. And it's, it's, it, it, it really taught the uh, short-term goal to long-term goal. Like I was mentioning earlier, go, go, just go from meal to meal. Um, if, you, if you think, okay, I'm going to be, it's an eight month long course. 80% of the people who try out don't make it because it, it, you're doing tests every single day. And, and the tests are bizarre. Like you have a 50 meter underwater swim, you know, swim half the length of a football field without breathing. It's 5.5 nautical mile ocean swim. They have tests where they uh, tie you up and throw you in a pool doing different drills, like exhaling to sink, uh, floating, you know, your hands tied behind your back, feet together, swimming hundreds of meters tied up. Um, all kinds of timed evolutions, running and swimming, and, and uh, it's eight months is is a long time to be doing that every single day. And you know, good to get into dive medicine, dive physics, certain kind of laws, and then ballistics and shooting and, and um, explosives and all kinds of things. Uh, but if you just take it one day at a time and realize that there's a great speech out there that talks about making your bed in the morning and do this. And I'll I'll tell that in my speeches. You know, wake up in the morning on time, make your bed the right way, and brush your teeth. Just get these little victories. And go through the entire day again from meal to meal, 
And no matter how bad your day was, and everyone has bad days, um, as soon as you get back in that perfectly made bed, because it's made the right way, you get a clean slate for tomorrow. And worrying about yesterday is not going to help. And, you know, you're not having a, a bad life. You're having a bad day one piece at a time. And, and that's just um, that's just how you get through it. And you, you learn that. And that but then eventually, kind of the eye-opener for me is, you know, I'm a week out from graduating, and I'm like, holy crap, I'm going to graduate. Now I've got to be a Navy SEAL. What's that going to be like? Uh, it's, but it's a really, it's, it, but it's, it's just, it's, it's like I was mentioning earlier. It's just a test that proves that your mind is the most important thing. Mindset is everything, and if you get into the negativity, you, you, it's going to have a tendency to pull you right back down. And like a, when I give motivational speeches, and you know, people say they're having a bad day or having a tough time with stress. What should I do? I'll say, you know, get off social media for a few days and see how you feel, because that's a lot of negativity right there, and, and that's mindset. No, it's, it's really well said. We're talking to Robert O'Neill. Uh, his new book is The Operator. It's out in paperback. All right, I want to go back now to uh, Abbottabad, to the landing, and you, get, you step off of the, uh, heli- off the helicopter there. You're in Pakistan. Take me through that experience, as you best recall it, as you go into the compound where Osama bin Laden, you guys believe, is at the top of, uh, of, of basically the building in the center of this compound. We got off the helicopter, and like I mentioned, we were outside of the wall, so we had to try to get in. And we have methods of entry to get in places, and everybody there was as experienced as we could ask. So we used a couple things, different bombs and stuff. And I, I, in the operator, I do get into detail. But we eventually got our way in, and as we're walking through the door into his property, I remember looking up to the left, seeing his house, and just realizing this house is going to blow up when we get inside of it. But this is so cool to be here, to be asked, to be honored, to be on this mission that I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to absorb every moment of this. And, you know, we, we got in the bottom floor, there'd already been a gunfight and we killed, not me, but our guys had killed three of the insurgents, uh, the terrorists. And we were just kind of going in, uh, the first long hallway on the first floor. And I remember looking at my guys because of the situation where I was on the outside, when I finally got in, other guys were working and I was able to be in the back. So I had the front row seat to one of the greatest missions in modern history. And I watched my guys and I just remember the feeling of pride, being so proud of the guys. No one was afraid. Everyone was doing their, um, their methods, slow as smooth, smooth as fast, uh, escalating force to get into certain spots, taking care of women and children, believe it or not. That's what the good guys do because there were a lot of women and children in there and we're making sure they're not as, as afraid as they need to be. Um, the guys breached the, the, the bottom door, and there was a stairwell that went up. Uh, very cool story that I can't get into now, but we ran into the, – the, there was a woman that found Bin Laden, and she said when you get to the stairs, you're going to run into uh, Khalid Bin Laden, who is his 19- or 20-year-old son, last line of defense. Um, I was able to watch my guys eliminate his threat because he was armed. They shot him, and the, if you read the operator, the story is incredible how that went down. Uh, we got to the second – and I, I was like seven or eight guys back uh, in the line – we got to the second floor. All the guys split off to the right and left to clear unknown spaces, different hallways and rooms, which put me um, in, in the number two position. So there's one man in front of me. I'm behind him at two. Uh, he's looking up the stairs. Um, through the, Up the top of the next set of stairs is a curtain. I'm looking back for more of our guys, but we didn't have any. We were spread too thin. He, in so many words, told me we we got to get up there because we're assuming that he sees people moving behind a curtain. He's assuming they're putting on suicide vests because if anyone's going to blow himself up or blow themselves up to defend the line, it's them. So he wanted to get up there before they could hopefully have their vests on. So I squeezed his shoulder as if to tell him, let's go. And we went up the stairs. And I don't know what he was thinking, 
But I was thinking um, it wasn't bravery. It was just, all right, we're going to blow up now, and I'm just tired of thinking about it. I want to get it over with. So we went up the stairs. He went through the curtain. He subdued a few people by jumping on them, which I thought was the bravest thing I'd ever seen because he kind of jumped on people. He assumed we had grenades or vests to absorb the blast with his body to give the guy behind him a shot uh, at, at Osama bin Laden. I saw him do that, and I turned to the right, and in three feet in front of me, standing on two feet, was Osama bin Laden. He, he, he was sort of he had his hands on his wife's shoulders, so he was sort of pushing her towards me. But we were very close together. I had an easy shot because he was about six foot four. She was small. Um, I did a quick assessment. You know, um, beard is shorter than I thought. He's skinnier than I thought. Taller. Um, he's not surrendering. That's his nose. He's a suicide bomber, so I had to shoot him in the in the face twice, and then once more on the ground. And um, so he went down at the foot of his bed, and I moved his wife back to back to the bed to sit her down and um it started to sink in holy crap that was bin laden and now we might live it was very fast it was a matter of a few seconds yeah it's remarkable and we're talking to robert o'neill his book the operator he's the man who shot osama bin laden you said you saw him you have a fraction of a second basically to decide yes it's him this guy who's kind of become the embodiment of all that's evil in the world for many people, you suddenly find yourself face-to-face with him. I asked you where you were on 9-11. Were you 100% beyond a shadow of a doubt confident that it was him? I mean, that's just, I feel like the instant, instantaneous nature of it, to suddenly find yourself face-to-face in a dark room against uh, that man who embodies all that is evil in many respects, uh, that's that had to be an uh, unbelievably remarkable feeling, but also you've been trained for that, I, I mean, I, I can't even conceptualize what it felt like. Well, we had, we had, um, I knew he was there before we got there, just based on the analysts, especially you know, one woman who found him, just explaining to us what we would encounter and how it all went down, uh, exactly the way they were saying. And it was, we, I knew he would be up there. That's why I was so convinced we would blow up. And then when I saw him, it was just, I mean, it was just, it was, I already had it in my mind that he's got two seconds to convince me not to shoot him because suicide bombers I've dealt with them before are very fast. It's scary. It's loud. It's permanent. And it's, it's up to him to surrender. And he, he, he knows where he's got to know we're here. He's got to know we're coming. He has a chance to surrender. And just to get there in the way he was maneuvering on me, it, he, he didn't do the right thing. No, no hands in the air. No, I couldn't see his chest. I assume he had a vest. Um, so I was anticipating seeing him as I turned the corner. Uh, it did, it did come quicker and ended a lot quicker than I thought it would, but but I, I was. It's not like I just opened a closet. And there's been a lot, and I I, I kind of was ready for it. So when you you shoot him, you guys then have to grab the body, like provide ID, things like that. What happens immediately after he shot? Uh, we gotta sort. We gotta get him prepared, if you will, for a picture. There are several pictures, which means you you, you want to clear uh, a vision of his face as possible, which to include clean a little you know a little bit of his face off. It's it's a messy situation. You want to get the picture, and then we want to get him ready to transport. We also, if we can, want to get some DNA from him. We had certain kits to do that, which we did. Uh, and then with the amount of time we had left, we wanted to go through the house and see what kind of intelligence we could find, and that could be anything from electronics, computer hard drives, uh, um, external hard drives, CDs, pictures, anything like that. So we went through, found a bunch of stuff, put that in bags, always monitoring our timeline, and then we have someone outside coordinating for the helicopters to come back to get us. And once the helicopters came in, we uh, would separate the body in one helicopter, the DNA in the other helicopter, just for, for redundancy. In case one went down, the other one had something. We have the pictures in both. And 
and because of the situation where we were, uh, we we had to blow up the helicopter that was in the in the front yard. Just we we weren't sure if we could pi- uh, fly it back out, but one of the pilots I thought we could, but we didn't want to take the risk, so we had to put uh, charges on that, try to blow it, so no one could find it. Um, we got most of it, but you, there's a famous picture out there of the tail that fell over the wall. That's the one that the Pakistanis got and sold to the Chinese, inevitably. But there's a lot going on, and then you get in the uh, the helicopter. Now you got to fly home, and that's another 90 minute flight where you can get shot down justifiably at any time. So that's another, you know, hair raising 90 minutes, and that's another great story that's in there too of of how the guys were sort of dealing with each other and the fact that if we live 90 minutes, we get to see our kids again. You know, it's it's a, it's a pretty emotional time, but it worked out pretty much pretty much how we needed it to, just not how we planned it to. Do you have time to come back for five more minutes on the flip side, or you got to go somewhere else? No, yeah, I'll be right here. That'll be right. time to make another coffee. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to come back. i got a couple more questions I want to get to you. It's Robert O'Neill. The book is The Operator, The Man Who Killed Osama Bin Laden, The Navy SEAL. It's an amazing, I think, interview to start off your Monday mornings. Let me bring in Eddie Garcia, find out what's shaking the world of sports, then we'll get back to him. All right, Clay and Golf. Patrick Reed held off late charges by Ricky Fowler and Jordan Spieth to win the Masters. He finished 15 under par, one shot better than Fowler. It's his first screen jacket and first major championship. In baseball games, a note, the Angels down the A's 6-1. Shohei Otani took a perfect game in the seventh inning. They didn't get the perfect game of the no-hitter, but he did get the win to improve to 2-0 in his career. Struck out 12 in this latest win. 12 innings for the Orioles to beat the Yankees 8-7. New York's Giancarlo Stanton for the second time this season struck out five times at the plate, including striking out to end the game with runners on base. Red Sox scored six runs in the eighth inning, rally and beat the Rays 8-7. Boston's off to an 8-1 start to the year. And the Mets are 7-1. They beat the Nationals 6-5 in 12 innings. Bryce Harper for Washington did hit his major leading sixth home run of the season in that loss. This report brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing, but not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And Clay, one note from the NFL. Odell Beckham Jr. is reportedly going to attend the New York Giants' first day of off-season workouts, which comes up later today. More with Robert O'Neill next, the man who shot Osama Bin Laden. Wouldn't you love a bigger tax refund? TaxSlayer was highest rated for maximum refund, so you have more cash to spend on whatever the heck you want. This tax season, go out and slay it. Max your refund at TaxSlayer.com. We're with Robert O'Neill. He is the man who shot Osama Bin Laden, his book, The Operator, in paperback out in stores right now. And when you left us, you were getting on the helicopter hoping to be able to come back a 90-minute flight. What's that experience like in the helicopter right after you shot Osama bin Laden? Hey, thanks again for having me back. Uh, that, that's, a, that's an interesting time because, like I was saying earlier, we just finished the mission. We have bin Laden and the proof and the pictures and all the guys, everybody pretty much unhurt, flying back. And not 90 minutes away from a mission we thought we weren't going to survive – and we're sitting in a helicopter, everyone starts their watches, but nobody talks about it. And I love using sports analogies for this, because as we're flying back, you know, it's like you're looking at your watch. You know, we've got 90 minutes, but we've already been flying for 10 minutes, then 20 minutes, then 30 minutes. And then it seems like, um, you know, you're at Fenway watching a no-hitter at the top of the sixth. Um, I'm not going to say anything, but he's pitching a, you know, whatever. And then it's 70, you know, 80 minutes and no one's talking, but everyone's looking at each other. And, and then it reminds me of, it reminded me actually of a Miracle on Ice when the Americans beat the Russians in Lake Placid in the 1980 Olympics. And we're all kind of looking at each other, and the pilot, at 85 minutes, because he was flying very fast, 
he kind of came over the radio and said, all right, gentlemen, for the first time in your lives, you're going to be happy to hear this. Welcome to Afghanistan, which means, <laughs> which means we just crossed the border, and we're good. We made it. And we got bin Laden. We got everybody out. We landed. Uh, and that's, you know, that's when we started high-fiving and talking to each other. Like, you know, we going through kind of many debriefs. I remember the Admiral McRaven, the guy in charge of the whole thing, came over, and he kind of... I remember he put his hand on my uh, neck, on the, like the back of my neck, like a like a like a proud mentor would, and we had a few words about it. And we moved Bin Laden to another base, and they were doing the um, we're doing the, um, the uh, post work, going through the stuff that we brought out. We have analysts going through a lot of the intelligence. They're doing more DNA tests on Bin Laden. He's right there, and we had a, a television on a big seventy inch uh, flat screen, and there's speculation that Bin Laden was killed. The, they brought the press pool back to the White House. Again, Bin Laden's right there. Then they, they, the army brought us these breakfast sandwiches. They hand, we're eating these sandwiches. We had most of our gear still on. And then President Obama comes out and said, all right, tonight I can report to the American people and to the world the United States conducted an operation that killed Osama Bin Laden, the leader of al-Qaeda. And I hear him say that. I hear the president say Bin Laden. I look at Bin Laden, who's laying right there, and I thought, how in the world did I get here from Santa? That is a pretty so. remarkable and surreal moment, I would imagine, oh, yeah. the president's oh, yeah. addressing. How much time from when you guys had shot Ob- uh, Osama bin Laden to Obama speaking was there? I mean, we're talking like two and a half hours? I mean, you guys about, are still in your gear. I think it was about four hours because we had to fly back. We had to fly from where we were, you know, the 90 minutes back and land and sort of regroup and then get in an airplane and fly up to the main base in the Bagram Airfield. And then you have to put everything out there, lay things out, sort of explain what's happening. And while we're doing all of this, uh, the the TV is on, and people are sort of speculating. Remember, I mean, even uh, you, like Geraldo Rivera running around saying they, they think he got him and all this stuff. And oh, The Rock, this- I think, was the first person I saw who had it, uh, who had the news, which is amazing. Uh, oh, I yeah, got- yeah, I remember that. I got to tell you, read this book. Uh, it is uh, amazing. We're talking to Robert O'Neill. The book is The Operator. It's out in paperback. Thanks for starting off your morning with us. I think a lot of people got some Monday motivation from you. Thanks, Rob. Awesome. Thanks, Cliff. Uh, the man who killed Osama Bin Laden. There you go. Never know what you're going to get on the show. Uh, I thought that went pretty fantastically well. We'll open up the phone line to 877-996-6369. I am Clay Travis. Monday edition, Outkick the Coverage, hour one in the books. We'll open up the phones for you guys to start hour two. Lots to get to. The Masters, Shohei Otani, and uh, WrestleMania. All that still to come. Hour two, Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. A little bit of Monday motivation there for you. I thought that the response to Robert O'Neill, the man who shot Osama bin Laden in the SEAL Team 6 uh, Navy SEAL raid, would be pretty fantastic. And it was uh, rolling in. You guys can tag him, too. He's... Uh, in fact, just go look at my Twitter feed at Clay Travis. You guys want to reach out to Robert O'Neill to thank him for coming on. He's at MC Huya, uh, and uh, you can find him on my Twitter feed because I tweeted out the fact that he was going to be on. But everybody rolling in, uh, fantastic interview, great uh, week starter, awesome guest, awesome interview. That interview has me ready to sucker punch the first person I have to talk to today. Hashtag fired up, outstanding. Uh, that was a segment I didn't want to end. Robert O'Neill's story is captivating. Incredible interview right now on Outkick with MC Huya, the man who killed Osama bin Laden. Great way to kick off the week. I'm definitely buying that book. The mental toughness of those guys, incredible. Uh, incredible American hero, Mr. O'Neill, the Navy SEALs on their mission. Amazing story of selfless bravery. 
Don't think I've ever walked into work more focused and ready to go than after listening to that guy. Wow, awesome interview. Fantastic listen. Um, this all, that's the first 10 that I'm seeing right now as I just click uh, on my mentions. But again, um, it is a, uh, man, just absolutely uh, powerful story, that book coming out. Uh, and uh, one of the good things about this show, and you guys are a big part of that, is that we're starting to get pitched pretty awesome interview opportunities. And I look at them and I think, and basically here's the test that I apply. If I were on my way into work, or if I were finishing off my day on the West Coast, wherever I was, is this something that I would listen to and I'd be like, holy hell, I'm not going to hear that very many other places. And would it be entertaining? Would I get smarter, be original, authentic, funny? All those things kind of the test that I immediately apply. And so when I get pitched things, I kind of instantaneously know, yeah, I want to do that. Yeah, I want to do that. And so when I heard, hey, the guy who killed Osama bin Laden uh, is willing to come on OutKick, would you like to have him Monday morning? I was like, yeah, yeah, I want to do that. So this is a testament to you guys and also the growth of the show and uh, a lot of people in the world of sports, certainly, but also beyond the world of sports, recognizing this is one of the biggest uh, audiences you can find in sports radio or talk radio in general, anywhere to start off the morning. So that's a credit to you guys. And uh, I've had several people reach out to me recently and say, hey, I came on your show and I got more feedback on Twitter and social media going on your show than any radio show I've ever done before. And that's a testament to you guys. And it really does make a difference. So if you enjoy our guests, reach out to them on Twitter. Let them know that you appreciate them getting up early in the morning, joining us live, and being a part of the uh, OutKick Army out there. It really does make a difference. I'm not kidding. Over the weekend, I had two different people been on this show recently uh, reach out and say, man, I've done radio all over the country, all different sorts of local radio stations, everything else over the years. And I've never seen a response like when I came on your show. Um, And that's because you guys, one, the audience is getting big. Two, you guys are reaching out and saying thanks to people for coming on. And it really does make a big difference. And I'm telling you from that, from my perspective, as a guy who has done sports talk radio and radio all over the country, if I go on and immediately see an immediate pop from people, everybody's busy. And everybody gets asked to do all sorts of things. When you see an immediate pop like this, where tons of people react to uh, to you coming on, it makes a real difference. And so uh, reach out to our guests, let them know that you appreciate them coming on, and uh, that leads to even better guests. And uh, I appreciate all that you guys are doing to make this show as successful as it possibly can be. World of sports. Patrick Reed posts a uh, minus 15, uh, gets in and wins the green jacket. Jordan Spieth has one of the epic runs on Sunday, comes up just a little bit short, as does rookie Fowler who is uh, the perpetual bridesmaid right now. Ricky Fowler is sort of the modern-day Sergio Garcia, it feels like, a little bit, but I do think he's going to break through in the majors here soon. Shohei Otani becoming a modern-day Fernando Valenzuela, taking over the left coast of the country, Orange County, and Los Angeles in general. Enthralled by the man who's gotten three home runs in three straight games over the weekend. He also now 2-0 and as a pitcher. He had a perfect game into the seventh inning. He's 23 years old, and he is a full-fledged phenomenon. We'll talk about him. Last night, WrestleMania, uh, Ronda Rousey makes her debut. Uh, Brock Lesnar gets the win from the world of UFC. Conor McGregor was not there that I'm aware of and did not get in any fights with anyone, uh, but that doesn't mean that it still might not be coming. I will bring in... All of the crew, let's find out what's shaking with them. Uh, Jumps out to you from the weekend of those three stories. Which were you paying the most attention to, Jason Martin? Well, I think you probably know the answer to that, but I'll start with the Masters and suggest, as Patrick Reed was winning, 
after Spieth missed the putt on 18, my initial thought was, man, golf really needed Jordan Spieth to make that putt. Not just for the ratings yesterday down the stretch, but mainly because Patrick Reed's not going to move the needle. No offense to him, no offense to the hatred he was drawing or any of the past stories or anything like that. He wasn't going to move the needle. Not necessarily that Jordan was, but it needs something dominant. Whether or not it was Jordan or Rory actually making a putt yesterday or whatever, it needed something. Patrick Reed is just another in the long line of names that aren't going to mean anything to basically anybody outside of the most hardcore of golf fans, at least like casual golf fans, still know a Jordan Spieth. They still know a Rory McIlroy. Patrick Reed just was, that's not what golf needed right now. Everybody was so excited going into the tournament. And Tiger Woods has proven yet again to me that his biggest problem on the course is the flat stick. And that's what generally goes as you get older is your ability to read and make putts intricately. And that's where Tiger continues to struggle. He can, it's not that he's spraying the ball all over the place. He, he's always done that. But he's also always been able to make these clutch putts that no one else could make. And that's what made him so dominant. And what we saw is he's not able to do that nearly to the same clip as he used to. And I think that your point of his competition kind of catching up to him and watching his act and being, you know, idolizing him for so long, you know, it's not that Kobe became Michael Jordan, but you could see a lot of MJ in Kobe. And he was trying to develop a kind of new style Michael Jordan game that also involves some other things that he added to it. So I think that there are comparisons certainly to be made there. But as as far as the Masters goes, I just think it was a letdown in the end just because Patrick Reed is not a name that's going to excite anybody. I think there's no doubt about that. By the way, what about that Rob O'Neill interview? I mean, that guy is incredible, right? I mean, you think about uh, everybody's up in Monday morning headed into work. I mean, that's the number one audience that we've got listening to us right now. If you, by the way, are just waking up across the country and you missed it in hour one, you can download the podcast. We may play excerpts maybe later in the week because I do think the story there is pretty compelling. The man who shot Osama bin Laden, he's got a new book out. I mean, that's an unbelievable story, right? An iconic, truly American story. Even if you... Uh, you know, haven't paid a lot of attention to that story. Maybe you saw Zero Dark Thirty, I think it was called, which was a great movie yep. about the process of how they managed to identify where bin Laden was. I mean, it is, to me, I have always felt that, and the people who impress me the most, the older I get, are people who just refuse to accept anything less than the utmost that their body is capable of. And to me, physically and mentally, the Navy SEALs are at the very top of that list of people who just refuse to accept any kind of defeat and to have those guys those total american badasses on those helicopters going into that abadabad uh compound we talked about what a compound is osama bin laden had a compound and uh, to hear that story from him about turning the t- corner and seeing osama bin laden right in front of him and putting two bullets into his head i mean while he's using a woman as a human shield that's an unbelievable story I mean, just a flat-out unbelievable story. Yeah, it really is. And I, and this this kind of struck me, and I've heard him speak a couple of times in the past, but a Navy SEAL and somebody that devotes his life to that, which is something I can't even fathom, like my respect for those people knows no bounds, people like him, um, and a lot of them that we don't know their names. And luckily, we got to know this man's name today. But somebody that focused that much, for him to be not just as polished a speaker as he is, 
But as entertaining and compelling a speaker as he is, when we work in the media, we'll have guys that can't complete sentences. Not only could he do that, he could sit there and tell stories for hours that I would sit there and listen to in a way that storytellers sometimes couldn't. Like, there's something real about it, but, I mean, that dude's not tripping over a word. He's not doing anything. Like, he just knocked – he was as good on the radio as he is holding a gun. That, to me, is what blows my mind about it because you wouldn't assume – that somebody like that would necessarily be that great in interview, just on the surface. No offense to anybody that does that, but he's just fantastic. Yeah, I mean, look, it's not uncommon for people to be great at one thing and awful at another. Certainly, and right, frankly, right. that's that's a lot of the reason why we don't have that many coaches and athletes on this show because most of them, frankly, are just cliche ridden and they're really boring. And and I just I, I'm like I don't want to start off my day listening to some coach or some athlete who says the same thing over and over again, and literally you could change his name and it could be one of a hundred other guys who are being interviewed. Um, that guy, I mean, wow, what an unbelievable story. Uh, I'll bring in the crew out in L.A. Um, but, yeah, for those of you who missed hour one, you're just waking up across the country. Uh, we had Rob O'Neill. He's the man who shot Osama bin Laden. He's got a book coming out in paperback, The Operator, and he basically took us through that process i mean have you guys seen zero dark 30 did you see that movie yeah yeah and that's a great movie by the way it's a very good movie but to have the guy who killed bin laden on this morning to start off our week i mean i mean these guys i i mean we know he's talking about being in the helicopter and and everything else i mean people out there think like oh i got a rough day you know i gotta do these i gotta call these uh two different clients that are tough to sell to and i got i mean just don't be a pussy willow i mean these guys are I mean, literally, flat-out, stone-cold, unbelievable American-trained killers. I mean, and they are just badasses on a level that, frankly, very few people in the history of the world have ever been badasses like them. What's pretty amazing is he did not know how to swim. Yeah, and he went to Navy SEAL training. He had to learn how to to swim for a few months, and he still wanted to be a Navy SEAL. That's a great example. Yeah, and then to hear him talk about how they had to take all those tests daily for eight months, an 80% dropout rate, just a spectacular story. Oh, flat-out unbelievable. Um, For you guys of the weekend, uh, you guys are in L.A. Is uh, Of the three stories, what were you paying the most attention to? WrestleMania? Uh, the Masters or uh, Shohei Otani's uh, run of uh, epic dominance, let's be honest, with the Angels. So I'll go first, and it may match Coops because I was actually coming home from the beach yesterday afternoon because we had a nice day on Sunday after kind of a rainy, crappy day on Saturday. I was listening to the Dodgers game, and when I, I thought, well, when I get home, I'll watch the end of the Masters and maybe some Netflix. So I was texting with Coop about Netflix because he's our Netflix uh, master here at the uh, studios, Coop's always talking about the latest releases on Netflix. And he he texted me and he said, what you should be watching is Otani. He's got a perfect game going, and I think at the time it was going into the fifth inning. So I quickly found the Angels radio network and listened, and the that crowd and those announcers, they were hyped. And you talking about uh, Fernando Mania earlier, it's crazy because that's what it's quickly turning into here in Southern California it was all over all the local news and even all the national um, sports channels I was watching later in the day. So that kind of took over everything in the afternoon. Yeah, I'll go to Cooper about this in a minute because I know he's a big fan of the Angels because of the movie Angels in the Outfield, which is not actually making fun of him. That's legitimately <laughs> true. That's how he became a Angels fan. But 
There is, I think, with the Otani story, this is great for baseball. First of all, he's an international sensation, which is always good for any sport to not just have appeal in the United States. But we're talking about the Japanese Babe Ruth. Is there a cooler three-word phrase that anybody could be described as in baseball that would immediately tell you there has never been anybody like this guy before than the Japanese Babe Ruth? I mean, I mean, first of all, like Babe Ruth is such an incredible icon in terms of his influence in the world of baseball that it's almost unheard of to compare anybody to him. The fact that he was a pitcher as well as the greatest home run hitter of his era and maybe the greatest home run hitter if you look at his performance relative to his contemporaries. I mean, I, I think one of those years, like when Babe Ruth hit 61 home runs, or whatever the math was, I think the next closest guy was like 17 or 18. I mean, we're talking about him tripling what the next best home run hitter did in the era that he was performing in on a level that's unlike anybody else. I mean, that's how dominant Babe Ruth was. And to have a guy suddenly come from Japan who's 23 years old and who is dominating on the mound, like you said, had a perfect game going into the seventh inning uh, on uh, uh, yesterday – and he's hit home runs in three straight games. And he's in a major media market like Los Angeles where there is a huge Asian population to begin with. It reminds me a little bit of the Jeremy Lin insanity. Lin sanity, you remember that we had when he was with the Knicks and suddenly everybody was obsessed with this Asian point guard who had come out of nowhere. Now we've got the Japanese Babe Ruth. You're an Angels fan. Is it pure euphoria right now among Angels fans and among LA sports area fans? Oh, it's unreal, Clay. I mean, the Angel Stadium was sold out and it's the beginning of April. Like that does not that does not typically happen. And I, I what I was excited about is when, you know, Otani had his spring training debut. It was it was very lackluster. He was he was it looked overmatched against, you know, that talent of pitchers over here. Uh his pitching, you know, appearances in spring training didn't look all that great so there was a lot of doubters coming out that you know a lot of the questions turned into oh maybe he's just he doesn't translate over in America and you know I personally was sitting here thinking you know maybe maybe he's like holding back for for the big lights for the regular season but even even I had my my doubts I was you know I, I didn't draft him in any of my fantasy baseball leagues or anything I was I was nervous but man now that it's happening it's you know, I wasn't uh, I wasn't really uh, around for Fernando Mania, but I mean, it, this is this is big time. I'm stoked. How much of this is real? You watch the Angels, all right? He's on a run. Baseball is a sport. Let's be honest, of streaks. Guys can look like they're the greatest player of all time, and then they can look like they're the worst player of all time. 162 game season is a long ass time. You've watched him play more, I would imagine, Cooper, than most people have because baseball, you watch your local team. You're not necessarily sitting around watching Shohei Otani uh, play. In fact, I would bet the majority of people who are listening to us right now have not watched this guy play a full game, certainly, so far. How much of this looks real and how much of it looks like just like an aberrant, unbelievable stretch? I mean, is this guy for real, basically? Okay, well, I will say this. I mean, the, his his stuff's for real. You know, he he tops out at 100 miles per hour on his fastball. So, and and he's got nasty stuff. His splitter's insane. So he looks really good. But I I will you know temper it by saying both of his starts. You know, he's two and zero, 2.08 ERA. Everything looks great. 18 strikeouts. But both of his starts have been against the Oakland A's, who are a pretty awful team. So. 
we'll we'll see what happens once he starts pitching against some some better teams. But what we've seen so far, there's you know, it's it's something to be excited about for sure. There's no doubt about that. Now he was mediocre in spring training, which could just be another sign that spring training doesn't matter at all, or it could mean that as he hits more, that pitchers are going to get used to him. Could mean that batters are going to get used to him as they play against him more. Could mean also, by the way, I mean just the idea of this in general that you have a great hitter mixed with a great pitcher. Like I said, the Japanese Babe Ruth is why it's such an incredible way to describe this guy. Uh, we literally have not seen anybody like him in generations, uh, much less he's only 23 years old. All right, we'll continue to unpack all these stories uh, and uh, and break down everything that happened over the course of the weekend, 877-996-6369. If you want to weigh in on one of the three what I would call big stories we've been talking about, you can also weigh in on uh, the interview we did with the man who killed Osama bin Laden, which took place in hour one. Patrick Reed wins the Masters. Shohei Otani, the Japanese Babe Ruth, is uh, on a roll. And WrestleMania, what were your verdicts? I'll take a few of your calls if you guys want to call in. 877-996-6369. Continue to unpack this and more. All that still to come. It's hour two. Wake up, Monday edition. Outkick the coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. He was inducted in the WWE Hall of Fame over the weekend. He's Jeff Jarrett. He's a friend of the program, and he's going to join us to talk about WrestleMania. A lot of you watching that last night. Uh, we will talk with him here momentarily. Also, in Hour 3, we're going to be joined by Dan Wetzel from Augusta. He was down covering the Masters. Yahoo Sports national columnist will hop on with us in Hour 3 to break down Patrick Reed's big win. Uh, but first, I want to hit this. Jim Kruger on Twitter. Uh, in Hour 1, we had Navy SEAL Rob O'Neill. Uh, he is the man who killed Osama bin Laden, shot him twice in the head. And uh, Jim Kruger asks, Do you think Rob O'Neill, the Navy SEAL, has ever called in sick because his windshield became completely opaque? Uh, That is a big play from Hillsborough, Oregon. Jim Kruger dropping the heat on Jason Martin. But first, Eddie Garcia, let's find out what's shaking the world of sports. And Clay, let's start with golf and our Geico play of the day. Patrick Reed, he has this par putt to win the Masters. Takes one more look down the line. Ball on its way and it's in. That's from Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio with Patrick Reed. Winning the Masters, again, our Geico play of the day. He finished 15 under par, one shot better than Ricky Fowler. That's his first major tournament victory and his first, obviously, green jacket at Augusta. In baseball, Angels beat the A's 6-1. to Shohei Otani took a perfect game into the seventh for the Angels, finished with the win. He's 2-0 in his career, struck out 12 in his latest victory. Orioles down the Yankees 8-7 in 12 innings. Giancarlo Stanton struck out five times at the plate for the second time this season. Red Sox scores six runs in the eighth rally and beat the Rays 8-7. Boston's 8-1, and the Mets down the Nationals 6-5 in 12 innings. The Mets are 7-1 on the season. Good stuff, as always. We're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. I sat around to watch WrestleMania uh, for uh, the entirety last night. It went on for a long time. I don't know what time this thing started, like 7 o'clock ended after or about 11 o'clock later, whatever the time was. Uh, my kids were enthralled. They absolutely loved it. They were uh, totally enmeshed in uh, in the process. Part of the uh, part of the WrestleMania event that has become just this massive multi day 
truly like uh, interesting part of the American sports calendar is the uh, Hall of Fame introductions. And in particular, Jeff Jarrett, who was down in New Orleans with us now, he came out, he was introduced, he became a Hall of Famer. He's been wrestling for 30 years. And uh, Jason Martin is grabbing him on the phone to talk with us. There were a lot of intriguing parts, I would say, of the intersection of the continued UFC and, and WWE intersection. Uh, where you had Ronda Rousey make her debut. I'm not sure, guys, whether she's ever going to go back to the UFC now. She looked like she completely fit in in that environment. She fought against Stephanie McMahon, the daughter of Vince McMahon, and uh, seemed like she was embraced with adulation and love from that crowd. And then you had Brock Lesnar, who uh, came out and, uh, and pulled off an upset victory in his performance. And so I think one thing that's definitely going to happen at some point in time, when exactly it will be, I don't know. Conor McGregor is going to end up in the WWE at one point. There's an interesting uh, interesting storyline there where everybody who has ever produced like big-time, detailed, huge audiences in the UFC has managed at some point to translate to the WWE. Whether it's Brock Lesnar, whether it's Ronda Rousey, maybe one day it's going to be Conor McGregor. We're joined now by uh, by our guest who was down last night in WrestleMania. He came out. He was introduced. Jeff Jarrett, he was a member of the 2018 WWE Hall of Fame class. Jeff, you've been in wrestling 30 years. How did the environment last night in the, uh, in the Superdome down in New Orleans uh, kind of factor in in your experience? It's incredible. Uh, good morning, Clay. Appreciate you having me on. But, no, um, yeah, I have been around a long time. And, and wrestling in domes has always been a challenge because – you know, when you come to see Professional Wrestling Live, it, I don't say, call it an intimate setting, but it, it's different than you watch on TV. So in a dome show, you're so far away, but it's just like nowadays. Every, you know, you, you, they've got big screens everywhere, and, and there's so much going on. And the audio in these buildings, that's something that I know has incredibly increased and, and dramatically. It's just so, so good. It was, it was the vibe. It's hard to, it's hard to describe when, you know, when, when you kick off the main card, and, and the building erupts and the WrestleMania presentation and the opening package, everything. Electricity goes to that building like no other. Uh, obviously, you know, we're not true sport, not, not, not all the way just entertainment. There's a lot of athleticism. But, man, there's an incredible electricity in these special kind of events, people from all over the world. Uh, so it was really special. It really was. You've got a situation, I would say, where a lot of people out there listening to us right now may have been kids growing up watching you, watching Hulk Hogan, uh, Macho Man, all those guys who were dominant in the 80s and 90s and beyond. And it seems to me, and I could be wrong, but you've been in this industry for a long time, that wrestling is continuing to grow and maybe even is at an apex right now. Do you think wrestling is bigger now or in the 1980s and 1990s? Well, I'll just say this. In the 1980s and 1990s, you could maybe catch wrestling once a week. Uh, you know, in the, before cable television, it was Saturday mornings or Saturday evenings. It was off prime. Now you have it Monday nights on USA for three hours, Tuesday nights for two hours. Yeah, for, for God's sake, we, it's an entire WWE network and not to get into too many numbers like that unless you really want to. It's just a, it's a, it's a WWE network. It's a trendsetter. It's enormous. It's much, much, much bigger now. I mean, John Cena is on the Today Show uh, just as much or more than any other celebrity out there. The greatest or the, the biggest box office attraction in the world today, The Rock, uh, is professional wrestling. And everybody knows it. It's not like he's 
left this business and never coming back. So I think it's as big uh, it, by by leaps and bounds exponentially. Uh, it, it's bigger. It's um, it, it, it is. I mean, we're in we, you know the Superdome, and I'm sitting here looking at it right now, uh, about to go get my morning cardio in. But um, you know they hold, host Super Bowls. Uh, but when the Super Bowl comes to down, and yes, it is bigger. The the game. I'm not trying to compare it. Uh, but the WWE rolled into town, and we had the Hall of Fame at the Smoothie King Center where the Pelicans play on Friday and NXT, uh, a sellout house Saturday night, then the Dome Sunday, and then tonight and tomorrow night, they're back in the Smoothie King Center producing television, three hours or two hours. So five consecutive nights when it comes to a town. You know, Mania is, is it's just, it's incredible. The economic impact, you know, the morning news, noon news, afternoon news for, for like two weeks in this town. So, it's much bigger, uh, and there's and for a bunch of different reasons, but I think it's much, much bigger. We're talking to Jeff Jarrett. He's up early with us. He was inducted to the WWE Hall of Fame last night. You're out on the stage bathing in that adulation, 75,000 fans cheering for you. This morning, it sounds like you're up early about to get a coffee and get into the gym and get your workout on. Uh, what did it mean to you, 30 years in wrestling, to get inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame? You know, incredible. I'm third generation. My grandmother took a second job. Her 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 husband, my grandfather, uh, came back from the war in the 40s but didn't actually come home, if you know what I mean. And she got a second job selling wrestling tickets. And so she worked her way up to what we would now call a, a CFO. And um, so and my dad, Russell, promoted, and, and obviously I followed in the footsteps. And there's less than 200 individuals to be inducted into this Hall of Fame. And there's tens of thousands upon tens of thousands of wrestlers uh, from all over the world, Germany, Japan. I mean, it's a, it, it truly is a global uh, industry. And so it, it really, it's, it's a really proud moment. And, and I've been overwhelmed uh, since I arrived here Thursday thinking, uh, dumb me, thinking that really the Hall of Fame ceremony is all I was going to talk about. But cameras, I've, I've literally, I didn't even get to watch the last match last night. Because I had dot com and the network stuff, I've done five different network shows. Uh, I literally have worked, quote unquote, since I got here uh, Thursday at two thirty. So uh, it was special, uh, but man, it's there's just so much that goes into it. Uh, but me being a part of the Hall of Fame is is really really special for me and my entire family. Uh, I appreciate you getting up with us so early, uh, and I am, uh, I am Clay. I, Clay, I've wanted to be on your show forever, and you never invite because I no. I'm, go ahead, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> no, no, no. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, you, you've been uh, listening to the, the show for a while. You listened to the show in Nashville, and uh, I am. Uh, I'm really kind of interested in in your relationship with Vince McMahon in general. Uh, Vince McMahon is this. Uh, you talked about how long your family's been involved in wrestling. Vince McMahon comes in and kind of changes the industry. Has he been totally, in a, in, a, in a word, good or bad for wrestling in your mind? And what's your relationship been like with him over the years? He's not just been good. And, and you know, people will, you know, or I can definitely see the vein that they would think that I'm, I'm saying this now. He changed the industry so much for the good. You really can't even put it into words because – you know, like I said, we are mainstream. The business wasn't the mainstream in the 70s. It was a, a, almost a four-letter word. And, and, you know, it goes without saying that we cross all socioeconomic boundaries where a NHL or a NBA or NFL might quite not do that to the extreme that we do. But we're three-generational form of entertainment. Grandpas and grandmas bring their grandkids and everything in between. 
Um, so he has defined the business uh, unlike any other, you know, when you try to draw an analogy to him, to him, and I'll go back, you know, sporting with Pete Rozelle, Roger Goodell, they didn't really define the sport, and they're, quote, unquote, the leaders of it. And then you have the original owners, like a Bud Adams or whoever it may be. They didn't define the sport. Vince McMahon took professional wrestling, which was your regional television, and with the advent of cable television, and then now with the way entertainment's gone and all the streaming services, he's knocked down doors for our industry that have never, ever could have been considered. I mean, when you think about there's a celebrity hall, this, and I said this to a couple of the guys when I was doing interviews, when you think about the celebrity wing, and, and you know, you could almost do tongue-in-cheek to some people, but when you really look back on it, our celebrity wing has the president of the United States. Donald Trump is it. I'm in the same Hall of Fame playing class, uh, Clay, uh, or not class. I'm in the same Hall of Fame that our president, Donald Trump, is. <laughs> that, that really, <laughs> I mean, when you really think about that, Kid Rock was inducted this weekend. Uh, so, uh, you know, Vince is, Vince is an incredible visionary, and I, there's obviously no one quite like him. I can't even really draw a proper analogy in the sporting world or in the entertainment world. Maybe he's comparative to Walt Disney. I, I, I don't know. Um, but, no, Vince, uh, me being able to reconnect with him, you know, our, my father and Vince were close back in the late 80s, early 90s. I worked for him all through the 90s. Uh, I went one way, he went the other way. But for, so for us to reconnect, and uh, it was really, really special, man. We, we really had a, a, a personal conversation last night that was personal. Uh, but man, it was, uh, it was special. I'll just say it was very, very special. We're talking to Jeff Jarrett. Um, It's amazing. You got back to your hotel room last night at 2.30 a.m. Central. You've gotten about four hours of sleep after a long-ass weekend and a long-ass day of WrestleMania. You have seen a lot of wrestlers come and go. Ronda Rousey officially made her debut, uh, for all intents and purposes, wrestling-wise, last night at WrestleMania. How did you think she did? What kind of long-term future do you think she has in the WWE? And and it goes without saying that professional wrestling and MMA, uh, you can maybe draw an analogy that they're, they're they're both inside a ring, but it stops right there. What we do obviously is completely different. Um, and 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 Ronda's match last night, and it's the one that. You know, there were a couple of AJ Styles for a personal reason, but there were a couple of reasons. I want, you know, me and Kurt's relationship, uh, we, we, we go back a ways. Uh, but that's one of the matches that I absolutely told guys I'm watching this match. And, and to say that it, it, it was incredible and hats off to Ronda because she was the one in the ring, uh, who has, you know, zero experience and everybody else has, you know, Stephanie grew up in the business. Triple H is 15-time, 16-time world champion. Kurt, multiple-time world champion. You know, so so a lot of experience at the ring, and she was incredible. It blew me away. It blew the entire uh, Superdome away. I'm sure the people online, I hadn't read anything about it. But, but Clay, you know, to watch that from my, through my eyes is obviously different from, from, from others, but, you know, with my history and everything, super impressed. And, and, and does she have – I mean <laughs> – after last night, she is going to be a major mainstay in our industry uh, for, for a while to go. And uh, the, the thing I probably like the most about it is, 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 is she was a fan. She was a fan growing up. She, she's a fan. Uh, so it's pretty cool. It was uh, her, her performance was off the charts. Dana White being there on the front row, 
uh, I know in, in the back of his mind, he had to be thinking, like a lot of uh, us, and then also business side, how's she really going to do when the red light's on? Because it's a completely different, uh, you know, pro athletes have done this before, and, you know, you get winded, you, you get extremely exhausted because of nerves, not so much because of physicality. It was off the charts good. It was it was 20 minutes of entertainment. And it's like it, when you walk away from watching that match, if you're not entertained, you don't have a pulse. We're talking to Jeff Jarrett. Do you think well, – we talked about Brock Lesnar. We talk about Ronda Rousey. Uh, Jeff Jarrett inter- introduced, uh, introduced into the WWE Hall of Fame this weekend down in New Orleans. Do you think Conor McGregor will one day be in the WWE? When you look at him, do you think that's a guy who will end up in the in your industry, or do you think that maybe he's a little bit too much of a loose cannon right now? How would you assess his potential future? Well, Clay, you, you're, you're not putting me on the spot. If you would have asked me before going into the weekend, I would have said absolutely he will be in our industry. He can talk. He's arrogant. He's got balls. He doesn't mind getting out, uh, uh, getting out of bounds. Um, he's got everything that goes into what we do. Uh, I mean, he's got loads of personality. Um, I've, I've just heard bits and pieces, so play. you may be able to give me some more facts. It sounds like he really put a black eye, in, and I was doing uh, a lot of network stuff, and so I had in between um, shots yesterday, and I was hearing some guys talking. You know, to, to me, up to this point, Connor forged a path, and I don't want to get too overdramatic, but, you know, Muhammad, you know, the people that really defined their industry and stepped out of it. And, you know, you know, Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, um, uh, you know, Jordan gambled and, and, and you've got, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali, uh, you know, who, who was for peace, but it sounds like Connor went rogue on us. And, and I, again, I don't know all the facts and, but it sounds like he, he's in serious trouble and, and certainly got a black on his, on his career outside the ring. And that's not good. Uh, for branding, especially this day and age. Jeff Jarrett, really quick with me, you think the Preds are going to win the Stanley Cup? They're going to go. And the reason I say that is there's a bunch of Canadian friends I have down here, and, and it's funny. They come up, and, and Clay, you know, we're, we're both born and raised in Nashville. So, uh, you know, hockey's uh, a new sport to us, so to speak. All the Canadians come up and said, your Preds are going to get to the finals, not sure they can win it. But So uh, I'm going to say they're going to win it. But uh, I'm excited for it. I really am. Congratulations, my man. Appreciate you joining us. It's Jeff Jarrett. Go follow him on Twitter. I'll send out the link. Waking up early with us from WrestleMania. Thanks, my man. Thanks, Mike. Final segment of Hour 2. Up next, I'll kick the coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Great news. Quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. Go to uh, Jason Martin. We haven't really asked you more about the WrestleMania thing. You're a uh, longtime wrestling aficionado. Where would you rank WrestleMania 34 that happened last night? I'm sure many people waking up across the country were watching. Ronda Rousey makes her debut. Brock Lesnar wins. If you're a UFC fan, the overlap between the UFC and MMA, never stronger probably than what we saw yesterday in terms of the main event uh, performances. How would you assess the overall uh, card? Um, well, I think it was two different cards, Clay. I think that the first half of the show, it was on pace to maybe be the greatest WrestleMania of all time. On paper, this was the most loaded, most stacked WWE card in history. Like, there were Hall of Famers of the near future, of the distant future, of the past. It was a 14-match show. It had everything you could possibly want, including 
something with the curiosity level of Ronda Rousey plus the in-ring return of Daniel Bryan, which a lot of people never thought would happen in a WWE ring. All of that happened. The problem was the show was too long. The show went over seven hours. That's just too long for a wrestling audience. Most wrestling audiences get tired around the three-hour mark. Even a three-hour Monday night television taping, a lot of times they're dead by the third hour. They're so exhausted. And a lot of these matches were so involved and there was so much emotion in it that it was impossible to keep that momentum. And the last hour suffered mightily. Uh, as a result of that but the key going in was how was Rousey going to do because that's what everybody's going to be talking about in entertainment media today outside of the pro wrestling circles that's what will be on entertainment tonight on the today show on extra on access Hollywood on all of those kinds of things and was she going to fall on her face or was she going to succeed reports had started coming out of Florida where she was doing some training that they had never seen anything like what Ronda Rousey had brought down there in terms of her focus and how well she was taking to it But that's hype until it's not, because what are they going to say? She's an unmitigated disaster? Nobody from WWE was going to say anything but positive things. So until you saw it, you couldn't believe it. And on television, she wasn't doing a great job on the microphone. And some people were rooting for her to fail. She had struggled in media appearances and interviews, trying to field questions on MMA. So there was the jury was out. And then she went out last night and had what I believe to be basically a perfect debut. They scripted this thing down to the T meticulously. I thought that they were going to have the guys do about 85% of the match, tag in Ronda towards the end with the hot tag. She would do maybe three, four spots they had choreographed with Stephanie and get out of there. But instead, they basically put the back half of the match on Ronda, got Kurt out of the way, had Ronda work with Stephanie, work with her husband Triple H, and pretty much be the star. And coming out of the most loaded card in WWE history, even though some of it was a letdown and some of it exceeded expectations, Ronda Rousey was the star of that show. She looked like a natural. She looked like this is exactly where she needs to be at this point. It was absolutely perfect sports entertainment. It was a good wrestling match, but it was great for WWE, and it should be very exciting to see what she does tonight. I think she's got as bright a future as you could possibly expect. This was her first ever wrestling match. She's only going to get better from here. She was in there with Stephanie, who barely ever even wrestles. Like She wrestles maybe once a year, if that. She is as part-time as part-time gets. Imagine when she's in there with Ric Flair's daughter, Charlotte, or somebody that's more seasoned, where she can hone her skills. She's going to be excellent. I've written a piece for OutKick, by the way, that will be up shortly after we're done this morning, all about the Rousey debut. she ever go back to UFC, or is this done now? I think it's done because there's no reason for her to go back. I mean, Lesnar started as an amateur wrestler in Minnesota, but he was WWE born and bred, trained in Ohio Valley, and went to MMA from the WWE. Here, Ronda's already lost a couple of fights. Is there a money grab down the line for her? Maybe. But this is so much easier, and they can make sure she never loses. Or certainly yeah. for a long time, and that's that's really good for somebody like Ronda Rousey. It's the real advantage of WWE versus UFC, which Fox is sitting around making decisions on right now. You can build somebody up to be a huge star, and then they go out and they lose, and all of a sudden they've lost all of their ability to draw an audience. WWE, you can build them up and they never lose. I'm Clay Travis, final hour, going to Augusta with Wetzel next. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. Big weekend, big Sunday. 
Lots of different events going on. Patrick Reed wins the Masters, posts a minus 15, outlasts Jordan Spieth and Ricky Fowler, who made runs against him. We're going to go to Augusta and talk to Dan Wetzel, Yahoo Sports national columnist, about what it was like on the ground down there in the next segment of this show. By the way, if you are starting off your Sunday and your, your Monday and you are just waking up, Great interviews, great sets uh, from the first two hours. We talked Neil. He's the Navy, former Navy SEAL who killed Osama bin Laden. He was phenomenal in hour one. If you haven't downloaded the podcast yet, millions of you are doing it. Make sure that you do it. Go seek, uh, seek it out. But he was phenomenal in hour one. Hour two, we went down to New Orleans. We talked to Jeff Jarrett. He just got inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. Many of you were watching WrestleMania last night. So uh, we went and talked about those guys. We're going to head to Augusta in hour three, and we will talk about the Masters. But Patrick Reed, minus 15, gets the win. And really, honestly, even though Patrick Reed won, I felt like most of the story coming out of Sunday was about Jordan Spieth and how close he came to getting the win uh, after the uh, round we talked with Jordan Spieth here's what he had to say I think I've proven uh, to myself and to others that you never give up I started the, the round nine shots back and just playing the golf course and have a lot of fun doing it and just try and shoot a low round just to shoot a low round and, and finish the tournament strong uh, that was Jordan uh, Spieth he also unfortunately for him on 18 clipped a tree branch which kept him from being able to go for the birdie that could have potentially gotten him into a playoff with Patrick Reed he was asked about what happened on that 18th hole but I didn't know exactly what it was and so obviously pretty gutted at the finish I hit a tee shot that wasn't that bad it just caught the last little branch of that tree Um, so obviously want to go back to that tee shot right now but uh, it was a phenomenal day We also have Patrick Reed reacting. Now, it was interesting about Patrick Reed, and we'll get into this with Dan Wetzel, who wrote his column column about it. Patrick Reed not being supported by the Augusta faithful there who were on the grounds at the Masters. They were actually rooting for Rory McIlroy. We'll get into kind of the tempestuous past of Patrick Reed and why he was not a hometown favorite, as you might have expected, given the fact that he played college golf in Augusta and that he's from the state of Texas, which means he is a Southerner. And a lot of times those are people who are embraced at the Masters. Instead, Rory McIlroy was the guy who got the gallery support. But Patrick Reed in reacting, this is courtesy of CBS, he seemed pretty happy. It's almost impossible, put into words. Just to make the putt on the last and watch the ball go in the, just go in the hole and know that I won my, you know, my first major. And you know, to finally end the drought of you know, not winning last year, it was one of my huge goals coming in this year was to not only contend in majors, but also win, you know, get back on that winning circle and uh, you know, to do it in the first major and you know, to kind of you know, finish off that drought. It, it just meant so much to me. We're going to talk again. Patrick Reed uh, looks a lot like a uh, professional bowler, not in great shape. Uh, Tiger Woods not able to ever really make a go of it in the Masters. I think a big reason why is the younger guys on the tour who grew up watching Tiger Woods are a lot more athletic in general and a lot more talented than he was. And uh, I think it's going to take, I I think at some point now, Tiger Woods will substantially contend for another major, maybe even this year. I think he probably maybe will win. If you were putting the over under right now for Tiger Woods remaining majors that he's going to win in his life, one and a half. Is that an outlandish number? I think I'd probably set the number at one and a half because I do think that assuming his back is not uh, falling apart, 
that Tiger for the next six or seven years will be able to play golf and that somewhere at some point in time he will play golf at a high enough level to win another major championship. I'd probably set it at one and a half, though, as to whether or not he will actually ever win more than that. I think it'd be uh, far from uh, likely that he will ever contend with Jack Nicklaus's record, which a decade ago it would have been insane for me to say that he wouldn't be able to break it. Other big news. We've got Fernando Mania Part 2 taking place in the state of California in the L.A. area, this time with the Angels instead of the Dodgers. Shohei Otani, the Japanese Babe Ruth, has managed to be absolutely dominant. Over the weekend, he hit a home run in his third straight game. He's now 2-0 and as a pitcher. He took a perfect game into the seventh inning. And here is some audio from our friends at Fox Sports West of Otani getting a strikeout during the course of that pitching endeavor. 3-2 now. Swing and a miss. Down goes Olsen. And tip your cap, Shohei Otani. You deserve it this afternoon. That uh, is amazing. I mean, the Japanese Babe Ruth, maybe the greatest uh, three-word way to describe somebody in modern baseball history. It's so rare to have anybody even contemplate doing what he's doing, pitching uh, in a dominant fashion as well as performing at an incredibly high level at the plate. There was a sellout yesterday in uh, in uh, the Angel Stadium, which almost, I'm told, never happens, and uh, especially in April. And so there is legitimate Otani mania. Uh, we could probably come up with a better way to phrase that, but it's just like Fernando Valenzuela Part 2. Also, WrestleMania took place over the weekend. I stayed up and watched the all-day event, it felt like. Uh, much to discuss there. Ronda Rousey makes her debut. Dana White in the front row. Looking on, big fan of Ronda Rousey, probably thinking to himself her career as a UFC fighter is over. As if that were not enough, you had uh, every Brock Lesnar go out and win uh, his match as well. Two of the biggest stars in the history of the UFC. Will Conor McGregor one day join him? We talked about that some with Jeff Jarrett, who woke up early with us in New Orleans to break down what was a phenomenal, an absolutely phenomenal card of wrestling. And also, I think, and and look, I've been telling you guys for a while, I'm a WWE shareholder. So I have owned stock in WWE for several years now because I just am a believer that they continue to rise to new levels. We streamed it on WWE, uh, WWE.com. And I think the number of you out there, as we move into the millions, a a good chance that they're going to announce they have over 2 million subscribers now, Really, the WWE could be the future of sports in terms of the way they've gone directly after their audience. They charge $9.99 a month. You get access to basically every match that's ever existed in the history of the WWE. My kids love this thing. And I think that as you look at the way American sports and certainly international sports are continuing to change and shift in a day-to-day basis, baseball Uh, Major League Baseball, I I believe, now having a weekly game on Facebook. I saw they had, I think it was what, the uh, the Mets and the Phillies that they put on last week uh, for an audience of around 75,000 people streaming that directly through Facebook. I think all these teams are going to be following at some point in the vein of what the WWE has done, be able to reach out and touch all of their direct members of their fan base and serve them directly And to me, the WWE has been on the cutting edge of this in terms of transforming their business. I still think they're going to get bought out. 
I don't know who's going to buy them. Maybe one day it's going to be Fox. Maybe it's going to be Netflix. Maybe it's going to be Amazon. But their audience is so substantial and so feverish and so committed to uh, their brand of entertainment that I think if you look at what happened with Pixar, you look at what happened with uh, you look at what happened with DreamWorks, look at what happened with uh, the Star Wars franchise with Marvel. Everybody's getting bought out now. If they have by the bigger companies, if they have these large, con- concerted, committed audiences. And I think that's what's going to happen with WWE. But if you watched WrestleMania last night, you know what I'm talking about. 75,000 people in New Orleans, in the Superdome. It was phenomenal to watch. Incredible, incredibly entertaining event. Also, in addition to all of those details, and again, as you're waking up across the country, we're going to go down to Augusta and talk to uh, Dan Wetzel, who was there writing his columns for the last several days. We talked to him, I believe it was on Friday, uh, about uh, the Masters. He was there for the conclusion. We'll find out from him what he thought of it. I went to uh, the final NHL regular season game of the year between the uh, the Predators and the Columbus Blue Jackets. Those uh, the NHL playoffs will start on Wednesday, and I'm actually pretty entertained to watch and see what's going to happen in the, uh, in the NHL playoffs. The Nashville Predators are your favorite, but you want to talk about, we talk a lot about like in terms of what, what, are, what are reasonable expectations. Um, when you watch the playoffs. The NBA is a wildly entertaining sport, a lot of times off the court, but the first round of the NBA playoffs typically are not worth watching. Now, maybe that's going to change this year. I don't think that it likely will, but the number of teams that can win the title in the NBA, probably three teams that can really win the title. I mean, I think it would be a stunner if it were not either the Houston Rockets, the Golden State Warriors, or maybe on the outside looking in, I still think, the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think the NBA title is going to be decided in that Rockets-Warriors series. It's the consensus. That's not a wild, hot take. That's the consensus that I think is true. Maybe the Cavs can get hot, get into the playoffs, and find a way to prolong a series. I think the Eastern Conference, again, a pale uh, approximation of the quality of basketball offered by the Western Conference, particularly the top two teams. But really, you got 16 teams in the NBA making the playoffs, and three can win it. Really. So, I mean, watching the NBA playoffs, to me, it's entertaining, but there's not a lot of drama or suspense. How about the NHL playoffs, which start on Wednesday? These are the latest numbers to win the Stanley Cup, according to my friends at sportsbookreview.com. The Preds, uh, I went and watched them play, like I said, on Saturday night. Preds are plus 475. They are the favorite. They were the best team all season long in the NHL. The Nashville Predators are the favorite. But they're plus 475. I mean, it's still like almost five to one. There's not a very prohibitive favorite. Tampa Bay, nearly six to one. The the Vegas expansion franchise, the Golden Knights, they're at seven to one. The Bruins, uh, seven and a half to one. The Bruins gave up their chance to have uh, home ice by losing on the final day of the season. The Penguins, who are going for their third straight Stanley Cup uh, title, nine to one. Winnipeg 10 to 1, Toronto 12 to 1, the Ducks 14 to 1, the Capitals who are never winning a series it seems like 14 to 1. I mean there are a lot of teams out there that I just ran through that feel like they have an equal shot pretty much at winning the Stanley Cup and that makes I think the NHL of uh, if you compare the NHL and the NBA which start around the same time, the NHL is actually a lot more interesting. Anything can happen in every NHL series. Last year the Nashville Predators were the worst team in the Western Conference, and they took the Penguins to a six-game uh, Stanley Cup final. 
and had a pretty good shot of actually winning that series. So all of that to be followed. I'm pretty excited about the start of the NHL. We'll be talking about the NHL playoffs some once they get rolling on Wednesday. Much to get to. But when we come back, we're going to go out to Augusta. We'll talk to Dan Wetzel, who was there. Patrick Reed's big win. What was the vibe like on the ground there? at the Masters, uh, we will dive into. In the meantime, using TrueCar, you can easily find the car you want with true price from TrueCar. You can avoid the confusion you encounter online by getting a great price you can count on before you ever visit a dealership. The true price includes all dealer fees and accessories. TrueCar will show you what other people in your area paid for the car you want. Now you know what a fair price is, so you can feel confident and your certified dealers know this, so they set their true price competitively so they can win your business. Over 3 million cars have been sold to TrueCar users by the TrueCar Certified Dealer Network, and there are over 15,000 TrueCar Certified Dealers nationwide. TrueCar users save an average of over three grand off MSRP. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, Visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. We're back with Dan Wetzel live from Augusta next on Fox Sports Radio. Wouldn't you love a bigger tax refund? Tax Slayer was highest rated for maximum refund, so you have more cash to spend on whatever the heck you want. This tax season, go out and slay it. Max your refund at TaxSlayer.com. If you were listening to the show early in the morning, you got to hear uh, Robert O'Neill. He's the guy who killed Osama bin Laden. He was incredible in hour one. Uh, Ryan Emerson reached out to him and said, uh, Clay, can uh, can uh, this guy, MC Huya is his uh, Twitter handle, please guest host the next time you take the kids to Disney. Wow, just wow. How many times did he say, we expected to die, this is where it ends, we expected to get blown up, I need to hear more, I'll be buying the operator. And then uh, Robert O'Neill has weighed in and said, I'll do it. So not only did he kill Osama bin Laden, he's trying to take Jason Martin's job. Um, and uh, I believe we are set now. Are we calling Dan Wetzler? Are we set with him? Uh, down in uh, Augusta. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Eddie Garcia, what's shaking in the world of sports? Well, you're about to talk to him all about it in golf. Patrick Reed holds off a late charge by Ricky Fowler and Jordan Spieth to win the Masters. 15 under par was the final result for Reed. One shot better than Fowler. He gets his first major championship in his first green jacket, obviously. In the NBA, we have the Sixers beating the Mavericks 109-97. It's 14 wins in a row for Philadelphia. Jazz clinch a playoff spot beating the Lakers 112-297. In baseball, the Angels down the A6-1. Shohei Otani with a perfect game of the seventh inning. He ends up getting the win, struck out 12. 12 innings for the Orioles to beat the Yankees 8-7. Giancarlo Stanton struck out five times the second time this year for the Yankees. Red Sox score six in the eighth, beat the Rays 8-7. Boston now 8-1 on the season. And Clay in the NBA again, the Phoenix Suns lost. They have wrapped up the worst regular season record in the league. They'll get the number one, or the best chances of landing the number one overall pick in the NBA draft. Good deal. We're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Uh, Darren Ravel just tweeted that Patrick Reed has made $24.6 million on uh, the tour, even though this is his first major win. That kind of puts into perspective how well you can make money if you're just around the top 20 in golfing overall. Uh, and this is uh, interesting, as Darren Ravel points out, 
uh, the Tiger Woods effect. Fred Couples' career earnings on the PGA Tour were $22.7 million. Couples obviously will play in the Masters still somewhat regularly, I think, unless last year was his last year. I know he's played over the past several years, even though he is uh, obviously not playing on the tour still. Bring in Dan Wetzel at Dan Wetzel, Yahoo Sports national columnist. Dan, why does everybody hate Patrick Reed? I don't know. I think they're just golf fans. Golf golf has its own culture, and this is um, this is what passes for like the bad boy of golf. Uh, we, I was on Friday talking with you, and we also talked about Conor McGregor throwing a dolly at a bus and injuring other fighters. Um, I could see why other fighters don't like Conor McGregor, right? Yes. But this, I don't know. He, you know, he's arrogant. He thinks he's going to win. He, in the past, hasn't been afraid to say he's going to win. Um, yeah, he got, you know, he got basically thrown off the team at University of Georgia. Um, he declared himself a top five player when he, you know, he just came in ranked 24. I think he got to 11th this morning. Uh, he's not a top five player. He, he said little things like yesterday. He said, um, he had two funny lines. One was, or not funny. He just is saying them. He says, you know, my goal is to be the best golfer in the world, which isn't like, I have no problem with that's what you should aspire to, right? You're a professional golfer, but that thing. And then he kept calling the green jacket, his first green jacket. You know, implying he's going to win more, and uh, somewhere in the the humble ethos of professional golf, apparently these are the things. And so, you know, he's look, he's definitely an odd guy. He doesn't hang around with the other golfers. He's estranged from his family. Doesn't talk to his parents or his uh, his sister. There's definitely some stuff there, but I don't know why the fans care. Um, I think he's a pretty interesting guy. He had some pizzazz to the the tour. Uh, and he's he's certainly a heck of a talent. It is interesting. Could you feel you're on the course there? Could you feel that he was noticeably less? And what's interesting about this is, I should say, he played in Augusta, literally, right? He played on a college team in that town. He's from Texas. Yet Rory McIlroy, who is an Irishman, was more uh, supported by that crowd in that final grouping. It sounded like on television than Patrick Reed was. Could you pick up on that very uh, easily as you were there on the course that he was not the favorite of the galleries? Absolutely. Now, look, people come from all over to go to Augusta for, for the Masters, but it still is in Augusta. You figure more people, at least you know some segment. He led Augusta State to two national titles. Augusta State. I mean, like they only have one Division One program, and they won it. And so you would think there would be some kind of pride there. Uh, and maybe there is, but when he 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 described it as like a Ryder Cup. You know, golf fans are lap dogs. If you hit a good shot, they're going to cheer. Doesn't matter if it's the other guy. Like nobody cheers when LeBron James hits a great three pointer against your team. You just groan. But he, you know, they cheer. But when Rory would hit one, even you know, it's a roar. It's like the Ryder Cup. And when he won, I was standing on the eight, uh, around the eighteenth green, couldn't even really see. There's so many people, and he took a putt. The the, the third putt which, you know, he had, he could basically par out, and he had two putts to par. He's going to make it. The first one kind of skits by about four feet. And the, the groan, it wasn't a groan of a crowd going, oh, like which they normally would do if Rory's just missing that. It was like, oh, right? And they're all almost all excited. Then he hits it, and there's like, it, it's not they didn't cheer. They cheered, and they some clapped, and some people jumped up, but nothing. I mean, I've been out there for 12, 15 I don't know how many Sundays. They go crazy, whoever wins it. 
Danny Willette can win it. Charles Schwartzel can win it. Uh, they'll go crazy. And when you know Phil wins it, it's bananas. Or Tiger, it's bananas. Jordan, bananas. This was just like polite applause. It was not only noticeable, it was stunning. It was like the weakest cheer for someone to win the Masters I've ever seen. Yeah, and, and I maybe I'm just totally not as plugged in as I should be. I didn't really have an opinion of Patrick Reed at all, one way or the other. Did you come into the Masters? Obviously, he led on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, so you had time to kind of do your research and read up on this guy. Did you realize how controversial he was, relatively speaking, in the world of golf coming into this event, or were you, like a lot of others of us, just kind of learning his history as this tournament played itself out? No, I mean, I knew about it. I've written about him before, um, talked to his family before, different things. I mean, he's He's a, I don't know what he is. He's a he's a lightning rod on the thing. So he's certainly a guy that stands out, and he's a guy that can make some incredible shots. It's he had to learn how to kind of get out of his own way, as he said, and just play golf. He sat on this lead for you know forty something holes. He led Friday. He sat. He slept on a Friday lead and a Saturday lead. That's hard to do with the Masters. A guy, you know, Rory tanked. Phil's tank, Jordan Spieth's tank, you know, everybody tanks in this thing. It's a lot of pressure. And he just sat there and played his game. And, you know, he, he entered the day at 14 yesterday. The lowest he got was 13. He ended up at 15. Basically said, come catch me if you can. And nobody could. Uh, they got close. But, you know, Speed was too far behind. Speed had had a bad second round. And, and uh, Fowler made a run at the end, but it just wasn't quite enough. But, yeah, I, I, I knew who he was and what he was. I guess I just didn't think the fans would care as you know it, it felt more inside PGA tour type thing where you know all right maybe the other players don't like him or the wives don't like his wife or whatever but he, he had a really like exciting Ryder Cup last year uh, against Rory up at Hazeltine and and I, I thought maybe that kind of brought people over but not yet but you know what I you know maybe this this brings it to him uh, to me he says very little that that you know granted i also cover the ufc also cover the nba <laughs> i guess i just i don't know i just look at it like okay I guess relatively so. speaking it doesn't take much for a golfer to say like you mentioned oh you know he said he's hoping to get fitted for another jack like compared to what ufc guys or nfl or nba guys for that matter might say the the, the standard for like <laughs> risque speech for golf is definitely a lot different yeah, I mean, this is my first green jacket. Okay, so you have you, the implication is clearly I'm going to win more. Oh, so arrogant. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like Willie. Okay, I mean, I guess, but isn't what? Like, what's he supposed to do? He's 27. He's going to play in this thing for 40 more years. Yeah, like once you once you play it once, you're in forever. Uh, to answer your question, Fred Couples did still play. He was playing sad. He did pretty well. Um, I know he played well last year because inevitably he'll have yeah, a good fr- Thursday or Friday. Yeah, but this guy's going to be playing for forty years. Like, what's he supposed to say? Wow, that's good. I'm good. One title's enough for me. I'm just going to hang out here. No, he's going to try to win. He wants to be the number one player in the world. I, again, I don't have any problem with it. I'm not. I'm not denying that he certainly. This is all, like, it's all made up. But I don't play with him, right? I'm not the guy who thinks he's rude on the on the on the practice tee. None yes. of this effect. I'd love to play with him. <laughs> if he wants me to come in balls with him on a practice team, I'd be happy to do it. But I don't, like, so what? I don't care. I don't care if you're nice. Uh, is, are you an interesting guy? And, and this tour has got a lot of great young players, but 
having someone who's not part of the group because it's very friendly because they're all making so much money and they all just take turns winning. I like a guy who having this guy on the tour who's like, yeah, I'm not your friend and I don't really care and I'm going to try to beat you and I'm going to and say this stuff. And I think it just makes it more interesting just as as a as a drama which all sports really are. Uh, did Rory McIlroy psych himself out with the comments that he made on Saturday? They seemed again within the standards of golf trash talk to be pretty close to golf trash talk about how Rory was going to go head to head with him, see what he could happen. And then Rory vanished and was not able to make a real run going head to head with him. Do you think that talk psyched him out in any way? Did it have any impact? Probably didn't have any impact, but you know, here's again, the double standard, like Rory's sitting there Saturday night at the press conference and he's going pressure's all on Patrick. He's got to sleep on this lead. He's never won a major. I'm, I'm going for four. All the, you know, implied that and say these are not direct quotes, but all this stuff. And it's like, oh, Rory and the gamesmanship, it's great. When Patrick Reed says anything like that, you know, he's being, he's being, you know, snooty or something like that. Uh, I, Rory just played terrible. He just putted terrible. I mean, he had his chance. He's sitting at two. He could have eagled two and, and tied the score at two. And then he could have been at 14 under or 13 under. Uh, I think, and, and Reed was going to be a 13-under, and now it was going to be like, all right, let's go. Let's see if Reed can really handle this. Because it's one thing to have a guy making a run from, like Spieth was, from 5-under all the way up, and, and, he's, and he's many holes away. It's another one you got to watch it, and you got to see it right next to you. That puts the pressure. And then Rory just didn't get it done, didn't get it done all day, and he really gave Reed an easy coast-through on that final it was a disappointing performance by Rory McIlroy. Tiger. I mean, you can't talk about golf without talking about Tiger, especially when he played. Uh, do you think – I just said I gave the over-under on Tiger at one and a half majors that he could win for the rest of his career. Would you take the under or the over on one and a half for Tiger the rest of his life? Under. Really? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, he's – you know, he, he played – he played decent. Uh, certainly played pretty good on Sunday. He didn't really play much early. There's just too many guys. You get into you get into one of these, and and just everybody's coming at you. Everyone's dialed in. Um, guys are going to make incredible play. There's just too many people he has to beat right now. And I, I don't know if he's got that game for four days to do it. I mean, you got guys. Ricky Fowler shot 14 under at the Masters and lost. Uh, you know, uh, that that was like that's one of the it's one of the ten or fifteen best scores that ever laid down at that place. Um, I, I don't know the number; it may it may even be top, certainly top ten, but it may be top twenty at, at most. But he's, he, I mean, the record's eighteen under, so he's four off the record of, of Speed and Tiger. Now conditions play a role in all that, but still, he, I, 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 I don't know, I don't think he ever wins one, but if he did, it'd be one. So I would put it at half, and, and you might get me to consider it, but. I just think, um, you know, this was a good weekend for Tiger. He made the cut. He played. This is what golf could use. I wrote a column a year ago, just like, we're missing out. The fans are dying to see Tiger the way they, they get excited to, to still, you know, they got excited to watch Nicholas or they got excited to watch, you know, any, you know, uh, Palmer or any of those older guys. When you get to that level, even if you're not going to win, you could be like, hey, this is, you know, I used to love this guy. You get to see him on your favorite course. Um, he did that. He played pretty good. He made the cut. He didn't embarrass himself with like some terrible shots, but 
you know, winning a major is just so hard, and there's just so many of these dudes in their 20s that are caught, that are just have such incredible games. I, I just think it'll be hard for him to win any. Jordan Spieth had one of the great Sunday rounds in the history of the Masters. If he doesn't clip that tree, he might have found a way to post the greatest Sunday score, maybe the greatest score ever, I think, at the Masters. Is there any way that sticks with him as he moves on through the rest of these uh, tournaments? I know it's a couple of months till uh, the U.S. Open, but is there any kind of significance to you on that Jordan Spieth run and the round that he put up on Sunday, or does it just vanish and uh, he didn't win so we forget about it? I think people forget about it, but I think the thing is, Jordan Spieth is the best player at Augusta National going, and it's it's not not really close. Now I know he didn't win yesterday, but five years he has three top fives on a and then four top fives, and then one of those is a title, including two two twos. He was unbelievable on Thursday and Sunday. His problem was Friday morning, for whatever reason, his short game just bailed on him. Uh, he could not have played much better than he did Thursday and Sunday, and that allowed him to almost win. If he plays anything reasonable, I think he threw a 75 up on Friday. Uh, If he just shoots par, he wins the tournament. So he's the best player at Augusta. The course is perfect for him. It fits his game. He loves the shots. Um, And so to me, every year going forward when you get to Masters Week, Jordan Spieth should be the favorite going into this thing. And so that's the thing I would take from it or try to remember from it, but I mean, great performance, made it fun. This this kind of would have been a little boring without him. Uh, I know Fowler got there at the end, but Spieth was something to watch. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it's all about what course you're playing. And Jordan can obviously win anywhere in the world, but this is this is the place for him. And, and I think he's got to be sitting there. with those, If you look at those five years, that's four top tens, four top fives, and a title, he's probably really disappointed. Like, he could have won it this year. He certainly could have won it um, the year he blew it to Danny Willette. And then the year Bubba beat him, you know, um, you know, maybe just that's – I don't necessarily call that a loss. I'm sure he does. But that was, that was like a, a, a good match. But uh, this, is his, this is his course, man. He's going to win a lot of green jackets. We're talking to Dan Wetzel at Dan Wetzel, Yahoo Sports National Columnist. Do you wait around and see if you're going to win? I think they auction off for media the right to play the Masters, right? Isn't there something yeah. like cool – how does that work? The media can apply to be in the lottery, and then they pick it, and uh, the winner gets the, the – there's about 16 winners maybe, 24 winners, I don't know. And you get to uh, you get to play uh, Augusta National today. And so do you wait around to see whether you might win that uh, that raffle? Well, they, they draw it on Friday. I never enter the raffle. I like, just – I'm like the last person that cares about, like, journalistic ethics. But um, – and it's a tough one because if there's ever anything you're willing to uh, – Except from, uh, except from anybody that you cover, uh, that would be it. But so, but I've never done it. Uh, I would have done. I would have played Augusta National by now. I've been here, I don't, you know, twelve. I don't know how many matches I've covered, but at least twelve. So I probably would have won by now uh, and gotten to play it. But I just I can't take anything from uh, from Augusta National. Like I can't take anything from you know the NFL or 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 some coach or anything else. So that's just the way I do it. But believe me, there are many of, there are many of us willing to try that when, when as they someone uh, with dangle no, a dust on you. As someone <laughs> with no ethics at all, I would definitely sign up every year. There's <laughs> I don't no doubt. I don't blame anybody. I don't even like bringing it up. But everyone's like, why did you, you know, I'm like, ah, I just can't. I don't, I don't know. I, my, prob- my other problem is I don't even think I'd be comfortable. I, they don't really want you there. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. So at, at 18, when you're standing there and, you like you said, Patrick Reed makes the putt, are you rooting for him to miss it for the story of him going head-to-head with Ricky Fowler for the playoff? Or are after covering for as many days as you have been and on your feet, like moving around, covering it, are you ready to just be able to write the column? Like from your pure perspective, what were you thinking as he attempted that putt? It didn't matter. There was going to be a column either way. I mean, there's times when – look, when Danny Willett is – you got Jordan – you can write about Jordan Spieth or Danny Willett's going to steal it. I guess then you just still write about Jordan Spieth. You know, you may be not that interested. But either way, there was going to be a good column. So I didn't really care whether we went to uh, extra holes. You don't want Monday. I want to go home. Um, so you don't want the Monday round. That's really uh, it, or, or getting bled over. But there's plenty of time for – they they almost always get the playoff done. Uh, you, only times they play on Mondays is weather. So I, I didn't really care who won. Uh, we're talking to Dan Wetzel. He's been down in Augusta. He came on with us Fridays up early with us on the Masters. All right, uh, last question for you. And I don't even know if you've been paying attention to this at all. This Shohei Otani, uh, Japanese Babe Ruth. I'm not asking you to break down his game, but is Japanese Babe Ruth the best moniker you can think of in recent history to make somebody say, "Damn, I got to pay attention to this guy." Like you tell me that somebody's the Japanese Babe Ruth, I'm watching. Can you think of any any way that an athlete has been described more recently where you've been like, hey, I don't even care, but I got to watch this guy. How about Thug Rose from the UFC Saturday night? I mean, Did you watch the UFC? Yeah, I watch. When you have a, oh, I mean, have you ever seen her? She's 114 pounds. Her head shape looks like a barista. Like yeah. she's like this, this nice little 25 year old girl. I don't want to say girl, but woman. Like she's she's cute, right? And her name her nickname's Thug. Yeah. I mean, he, her mom named her Rose. Like, oh, my beautiful Rose. No, I'm Thug Rose, right? Tough as nails. I love her. Uh, I don't know. Is the Japanese Babe Ruth – I don't watch baseball. Does Japanese Babe Ruth play in the majors or is he in Japan? Uh, no, no, no. He's – oh, man, you got to catch up. He's with the Angels. He's 23 Angels. years old. Like, the Japanese yeah, – I'm not catching up with baseball. Like, yeah, I'm in not, the next – It's not happening. In the next week, I'm telling you, you're going to have a, you're gonna have a Japanese – Babe Ruth story, I'm telling you. It's going to happen. Oh, they can bring back the Japanese Mickey Mantle, Jackie Robinson. <laughs> Still not happening. I'm not watching. Uh, it's Dan boring. Wetzel. Uh, thanks for getting up with us, my man, uh, Friday as well as Monday. We'll talk to you again soon. That's Dan Wetzel, final segment of the show up next. Dan Wetzel not impressed by the Japanese Babe Ruth. Everybody else is. Uh, I'm Clay Travis. We'll talk about him. We'll talk about WrestleMania, all that and more. Final segment, I'll keep the coverage on Fox Sports Radio. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago. Final segment of the show, if you're just waking up, I would encourage you to go download the podcast. Make sure that you do not miss our interview with the man who shot Osama bin Laden in hour one. Then we went down to New Orleans with uh, WrestleMania's Jeff Jarrett, who was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame and... We just concluded with uh, Dan Wetzel in terms of guests, obviously talking about the biggest stories of the weekend. I want to mention this. I was at the uh, Saturday game between the Columbus Blue Jackets and the uh, Nashville Predators uh, to conclude the NHL season, and they did something that I thought was pretty remarkable and a very small gesture, but sometimes the exact right thing that can happen in the world of sports All of the Canadian junior hockey players, if you heard that story over the weekend, if you're a parent, just an absolutely devastating story. Um, A a semi-truck plowed into the bus that was carrying uh, those kids, 
and uh, uh, I don't know what the final tally has been. I think it's 15 people uh, were killed, coaches and players, uh, on that team. And uh, as a part of Saturday night's game between the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Nashville Predators, they had the woman who came out to do the national anthem sing the Canadian national anthem. And obviously you've got two American teams playing, so they would not traditionally do the Canadian national anthem before the game. Uh, but they made the, uh, the comment, you know, everybody please rise and, uh, in honor of uh, the tragedy that's befallen the, uh, the Canadian junior hockey team. We're going to play the Canadian national anthem. And, uh, and so they play the Canadian national anthem, and they encourage people to uh, sing along with the Canadian national anthem. And I will tell you, first of all, everybody was standing in the entire arena. And secondly, the number of people who knew the words to the Canadian national anthem and sang along uh, was pretty powerful. And uh, it was a uh, it was a moment that I thought the NHL got completely right. And I know how difficult of a situation that is, and I know that in many ways all of those kind of responses are very cosmetic in nature. Uh, the depth of uh, pain which those parents will feel and the family members of those and the friends of those kids who died will never be in any way remotely touched by anything that anyone in any kind of hockey arena can do. But for me, being there and being present, it was exactly the right thing for the Nashville Predators and the Columbus Blue Jackets to have done. And so I don't know how much attention that will get. I don't know how many people will even take note of it. Some of you may have also been in American hockey games, uh, in American hockey stadiums and arenas where they did something similar but I just wanted to uh, to give acknowledgement to that, what I witnessed in person, uh, what a powerful moment that was to sing the national anthem, not even of your own country, but of somebody else's, and to stand and pay respect. Uh, it's, a, it's, like I said, a cosmetic and small gesture in the grand scheme of life, but it was and felt like the absolutely appropriate thing to do in that circumstance. So... Um, I just thought it was a great example of sports being able to connect with the larger universe, uh, and and it re-solidified for me again this idea that sports is where we all go to oftentimes escape the serious things that may be taking place in our lives and, uh, and sometimes acknowledging the serious things that are taking place in your life through something uh, which is as small as in the grand scheme of things, as playing the national anthem of a country that you are not a member of, and in fact there are no teams supporting that country that are playing that night, was exactly the right thing to do. The NHL playoffs will be starting on Wednesday. I'm sure we will talk a lot about all of that as it uh, unspools itself. The NBA playoffs also coming soon. Patrick Reed wins the Masters. Uh, It's been a great show. I appreciate all of you. We'll bring in some calls, get you guys involved uh, tomorrow and throughout this week. Otherwise, a relatively quiet week in sports. But you know what that means a lot of times. All sorts of craziness can ensue. Odell Beckham Jr. will find out whether or not there's going to be any uh, conclusion in any kind of way to what has been a long offseason of drama surrounding his contract status. And we'll continue to unpack the Japanese Babe Ruth and figure out whether or not he is a flash in the pan or if he is going to be an elite-level baseball player, even if our guy Dan Wetzel doesn't even know who the heck he is. Um, all that and more, great show. We talked about WrestleMania. We talked about the Masters, and we talked about Shohei Otani and everything else surrounding him. Loaded Monday edition. Make sure you download the podcast. Search out the term OutKick. Millions of you are doing it. I guarantee you 
that you will love our interview. If you need a little Monday motivation with the man who killed Osama bin Laden, that was a fantastic way to get the show off and running, and I guarantee you guys will love it if you download the podcast and go listen to it. Thanks for all the feedback. Thanks for all the interaction. Monday edition, Outkick the Coverage in the books. We'll be back Tuesday. Petros Papadakis and Alex Marvez and more. See you tomorrow on Outkick the Coverage. your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.